if, if the middle section of a creek isn't fishing good, don't sit there and play with your rig for hours. Cover water because eventually you're going to make it pretty far from where you started. That's yep. another thing that's crazy. You know, mm-hmm. eventually you'll step back like, oh, my God, my car is so far away from me. Yeah. Like, how did this happen? That means you're doing it right. Yeah. So, I mean, if, if, if you're not catching fish where you are and you're moving, I've had plenty of times where it's like I get to a hole and all of a sudden it's like, bam. Like, yep. this must be where people stop and turn around when they're fishing before me. You know, or, you know, the water might be just a hair colder up here. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, cover water. It's the biggest thing. Don't get hung up on something. Three, two, one. We're live. All right, guys. Welcome back to another Wildfly podcast. Today, we've got Max here. Hey guys. And we've got our boy Carson over here. Hello, hello. Uh, if you guys have followed the podcast for a little bit, you may have already seen the podcast with Max. And uh, he's going to help me co-host today. And we're going we're gonna to talk with Carson. Carson's another guide at Do South Outfitters. Um, and we're going to, you know, Carson grew up in Boone. He's been here his whole life. And he's been guiding with Do South for a couple years. So we're going to pick apart some small stream things. We I actually took to Instagram and... Basically asked you guys if you had any questions on North Carolina small streams. And we're going to kind of answer some of those questions later on in the show. We, you know, I did mention it's about North Carolina streams, but all of this should apply pretty much everywhere in the U.S. for small streams. It uh, doesn't mean it just works for North Carolina. I promise you this stuff will be applicable for any of you guys, whether you're out west and Montana, Idaho, you're in Canada, wherever. Hopefully this will, uh, or hopefully there's something you guys can, can take away from here. But yeah, let's, dude, I'm trying to think of how long that we've known each other. Because it's, it's been a few years. I don't know how long I've known you for. Um, I, I remember watching your videos, like when you first got this thing rolling, first got the show on the road, um, back when you were obsessed with Wilson's Creek, back in the good old <laughs> days, man. Um just like I don't know nothing better than Boone, you didn't know anything better than Wilson's, man. Yes. But um, I mean, I think I just remember meeting you in the old shop, you know, when we were doing some stuff for Our Water, I believe. Um, and I thought that was like the coolest project ever, and it's just been cool kind of watching you get on the map and blow up, you know. So. Oh, I appreciate that. I don't know about blow up. <laughs> it's but an I... honor. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I remember recently. Maybe it was recently, but you, <laughs> we were talking about the OG video, the park, the park, baby. That. It's a huge premiere. <laughs> Dude, the park. I So I've been trying to get Scotty to do a park, you know, part two or, you know, episode two. But basically, you know, when he was real young, you know, they went to the Valley Cruces Park and uh, they're catching just the stock trout, you know, the normal size stock trout. And Scotty's got his, you know, Orvis Clearwater reel dropped all the way to zero drag. <laughs> And I mean, they got this like 12 inch rainbow on just like ripping down the main <laughs> hole. And I just remember like, you know, cause I learned to fly fish at the Valley Cruces Park when I was, you know, seven, eight years old. Um, and I remember thinking like, this is an abomination. Like these guys <laughs> coming up from Charlotte, just <laughs> like having these park stalkers rick drag. But I mean, this is my water. Yeah. What are you doing here? Yeah. Yeah. Car water my ass. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. No, it's funny. We had no idea what we were doing and also didn't realize that the park was like the most popular place to fish in Boone. And it's the it park, was, baby. you know, it's a great place for people to begin, but it's, you know, definitely a big hatchery supported gets, gets hit really hard. Yeah. You know, in all parts of the year that could be like one of the most 
challenging places sometimes to fish though because it does see so much pressure dude the part gets like, a bad rap man it's yeah. it can be hard like it's dude, not it always actually it's, can. it's sometimes you go down there and you're like holy cow this is <laughs> tough but yeah I, I can't speak highly enough of you because like you growing up there and fishing that all the time Every i've day. seen like you just know how to do it yeah it's unbelievable to see like someone who didn't grow up on it fishing it and then someone who has grown up fishing it like how proficient you really are at fishing that creek um it's pretty amazing so yeah i don't know if it's much to you know run home about i'm good at fishing the valley cruise park <laughs> but i mean <laughs> it's still impressive the park like, i mean anybody who's like a you know a boon local or lives around here i mean the park's got a special place in everyone's heart you know for sure um i mean that place my mom you know before i could drive my mom would drop me off at 8 a.m there on her way to work and pick me up at 6 30 and I'd, I'd just fish it the holes over and over and over again so i mean it's cool I mean, it's a perfect location for your uh, yeah. mom to drop you off, especially when you're young and you're yeah. a local. It's great access. Great access. Yeah. But I guess you, so you grew up, you've been in Boone your whole life. Whole life. Don't know nothing better than Boone. <laughs> <laughs> Good old Boone, baby. Yeah, dude. <laughs> so you, I mean, you started here and this is kind of what you know. And that's yeah. why I think this was a great opportunity to have you on. Talk about some of the small stream stuff because you've really spent some, really your whole fly fishing career here. But when, when did that kind of start for you? Uh, and what did that look like? So, um, you know, one of my buddies, uh, I went fishing with him when I, I was seven or eight years old. I don't remember, but I just brought one of my dad's, you know, fishing rods that I found in the garage. Um, and we went to the park, ironically enough. Um, and he had a fly rod. It was this old Orvis rod. Um, and I was like, so intrigued in it. Like, I didn't know that there was another way to fish. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, he taught me how to cast it in the field, um, we were fishing the park in like the dead of summer. So, I mean, we went out there and caught a bunch of little bluegill on, uh, you know, little poppers, little bugs and stuff like that. And I, it was just like life changing for me. So I went home, I mean, found an old fly rod in my garage. That was my dad's, you know, the Walmart special. I mean, that's what you got to start on. You got to. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I mean, I would, I would get off the school bus and run down my driveway and just grab that thing out of the garage and cast it in the yard. I mean, just throw it all over the place and get to know it. Um, I'd beg my mom to take me fishing. Tweetsie Railroad, that was my spot. Once I discovered that there was something other in the park, Tweetsie Railroad on the middle fork of the new. There you go. Just another stock <laughs> spot. Um, <laughs> caught my first trout on a fly rod um, on a black woolly bugger. And uh, I just remember that that was like, I mean, that was it. You know, like everyone says, I think you, you mentioned it. You know, you caught, you know, first couple fish on fly and you're like, that's it. This is what I'm doing. I wanted to try and share the joy and the like the fulfillment that i got from catching that fish you know to as many people as i could um and so you know shortly after before i found out how expensive gas was <laughs> got my license drove a 01 rust bucket baby yes sir. and just ripped that thing all over the county and i mean would just fish 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 so much um so i mean i i know boone like the back of my hand but there's still still nooks and crannies i haven't explored you know so yeah. So when you before you had your license, because you started you started guiding before yeah. that. We'll get into that in a sec. But <laughs> before you had your license, were you did you feel limited with like exploring, or how were you able to find nope. new streams? Nope. So I had my mom and my brother. Okay. <laughs> Kyle, right. man. Kyle. Got to love Kyle. Shout um, out Kyle Decker. If anyone who is associated with Do South Outfitters, I know that Kyle and I, you know, we 
get a little frictional when we're fishing. You know, we kind of <laughs> you two brotherly, no. no way, brotherly love, we'll call it. <laughs> but I mean, we tend to disagree. But nonetheless, um, you know, I would I would beg Kyle because you know he's my older brother. He's older than me. He obviously had his license before me, and uh, I actually taught him how to fly fish. And so I like you know he got started on it. Um, and then it was just, I would come home from school and if my mom was working or something, I would beg him like tears on the ground, like crying, like, please, can we go fishing? Please can we go fishing? And, uh, so he was my means of transportation. You know, I would try and give him gas money, but I didn't really have it. So, I mean, <laughs> you're asking your mom for gas money yeah, to give Kyle. Seriously. Nice. So, I mean, I, I always pulled still. the, I always pulled the trick. I'd be like, Kyle, it's the days that you don't want to go that it's the best <laughs> and that worked sometimes but other times it didn't but, that's uh, true you know you gotta true. gotta get out to the water somehow <laughs> yeah dude so then you got your license and yeah. you're able to start exploring a little more yep um but even before that you started getting involved with do south mm -hmm. so when did when did that happen and um how did you start getting involved with the fly shop so the uh you know we refer to it as the old shop um but it's basically just the first location of the the fly shop um, you know, Patrick and Meredith Sessoms, the original, you know, owners and, and founders of Do South Outfitters opened up a little shop, um, right below Watauga High School, like right down the street from it. Um, it was a small shop, you know, and it was everything we needed. It was great. Did great. Um, and I remember my brother, you know, Kyle DMing me on Instagram, sending me the video of Max and Austin, you, you guys, you know, Patrick screwing the sign into the door, like you were opening up a fly shop. And it was like, holy yeah, crap, lizard. you know, Kyle and I, yeah, I remember that <laughs> kind of like fanboying. And, uh, so I, I was making my schedule at the time for my junior year at, at Watauga and, um, I didn't have a fourth block class. And one of the, one of the things, you know, for an extracurricular was just a, uh, as an internship. So I was like, you know, honestly, Kyle really peer pressured me into it. So I was pretty, really nervous to go in there, but, um, you know, I went in there and, you know, made some small talk with Patrick. It was like the day y'all opened or, you know, first week, definitely. And, uh, you know, I was like, gave Patrick the whole spiel, you know, um, you know, it's through my high school. I'll come every day, you know, I'll walk down here. And, um, he was like, yeah, man, well, sounds good. Let's do it. I was like, really? Like, that's it. That's all I had to do. Right. I'm like this little kid and, it was like the best day of my life. I mean, I couldn't, couldn't stop thinking about it. And that's how I got into it. And I mean, I can't, you know, can't thank Patrick and Meredith enough. Cause I mean, they really gave me my start. You know, they obviously saw something in me mm. as this little 15 year old twerp. <laughs> I mean, Nick Wittick, one of our guides, he told me not long ago, he's like, dude, I used to hate you. <laughs> he's like, you were so annoying. And I was like, I believe it, man. He's like, but you mellowed out. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, again, you definitely have, you've grown I remember you being in that shop and we, I, you know, we always loved you because I mean, we could see that uh, when you're 15, you're 15, right? Yeah. So you're not going to be like this mature person that you've grown into. And like, it was, you definitely got that start there and seen you grow through like, cause I, I was there when you first started and now where you're at, it's pretty amazing how much you've grown up and how much you've progressed and, really everything you do as far as working in the store, taking some float trips, doing your, you know, your wade fishing stuff. It's pretty amazing to see how much you've grown. Um, appreciate that one. I guess I can't really jump into that though. 
yeah, about his first guide trip. So we'll Dude, let him start. Whatever you want, man. It's I'm, the punchline, man. That's well, the one I take but, to parties. Yeah. <laughs> let's hear let's hear it, dude. Let's hear um, it. yeah, so I uh we were doing Pat first, Meredith. Let's, let's give some context how old you were. You were I was fifteen. Fifteen. Fifteen years old. And you're twenty now, right? I'm twenty. Yeah. We're ripe twenty. So <laughs> 50, <laughs> fifteen years old when you took your first guide trip. All right. There we go. Just so people know. Yeah. Um so yeah, I just started my internship and everything and for some reason meredith didn't have my number she didn't have my number or anything and so she would contact me through kyle um <laughs> and so i remember she dms kyle and was like hey we need an extra guide for this clinic we're doing you know one thing led to another and we we need another body basically um we we're doing a clinic at the at the park valley cruces park um just to learn to cast learn to tie some flies and then a couple hours of fishing and um you know Kyle basically signed me up for it because my brother's like my biggest proponent. You know, he's he's always going to go to bat for me. Um, so he throws me into it. And I mean, I was so scared. Like, I remember it was like World War Eight in my house. It's <laughs> like, I can't do it. It's like, I can't, you know. Um, I got, I dropped like so much money on flies. I mean, I could have done like 80 guide trips with the amount of gear I had and I like roll up to the park. Right. In your waiters out of yeah. the car. I'm a waiter. <laughs> I am, dude, I was Orvis out of my mind. I remember you like getting out of the car and you're already in your waiters. And I was like, who's this kid? I was like, what Nerd. is going on? Why is he already in his like suited up? Dude. So yeah, I get out of my mom's car. I've got a picture from that day. Cause I was so scared. I got my brand new Orvis waiters on, you know, I had my pack on already and I was like so scared. No one was there. I couldn't find anybody. Like no one was at the picnic pavilion. No one's in the field. So I'm like sitting there talking to my mom, like, cause I was super nervous and uh, sitting there like leaning up against the car, talking to her. She's like, honey, like go. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, eventually I just went and sat at pic the picnic pavilion and Meredith came out of the little like brand new classroom that they built over at the park. It's super nice. They were doing like tying in there and she was like, what are you doing? It's like, God, I didn't know where anyone was. <laughs> so, I mean, like, I knew most people at the shop, but I didn't I didn't really know anybody personally. Like, I couldn't call Max, be like, yo, where you at? <laughs> you know? So, um, I got a single. They paired me up with one person. Um, is that older lady? Her name was Joan. I remember her. I remember her for the rest of my life. Oh, Joan. <laughs> Good old Joan. She's the sweetest. And, uh, you know, we crushed it we went day. yeah i think by the way not not tooting but i think i might have led the pack i think you no yeah, i think I caught you really 20, did i caught 24 24 yeah, that dude. was the number um went up up above the park to some of my greasy spots while you guys were tying knots down in the middle of the park <laughs> <laughs> and uh went up to the top of the park and just got on a good hole and it was just you know catching them pretty good got back and everyone was like so excited for me and i mean because everyone knew how scared i was i was so nervous um got back and i mean it was it was amazing and it was just it was pretty cool you know austin comes walking back up like yeah i caught like four and i'm like caught like 24 <laughs> <laughs> that's a good way um, to prove yourself but i mean yeah the lady she tipped me 20 bucks that's the funny part she tipped me 20 dollars, and uh that's kind of how tips go on guided trips you know you get your tip or you don't or you don't right um she tipped me 20 dollars, and then you know a week went by and i was sitting at the shop with patrick and you know mailman brings a uh brings a thing by and um mailman brings a uh, envelope by and it was a check addressed to me for twenty dollars like 20 more dollars and uh it was a added tip on top of it patrick's like dang it man what were you doing out there <laughs> like you must have done something yeah, real good dude. old joan liked you i was like dude mailing tip man <laughs> 
but uh yeah man i'll never i'll never forget that do you you think you being like the youngest in the shop and you know i think everyone kind of had their idea you 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 were you know you had a lot of confidence to say to say at least (laughs) not at first man not i I couldn't talk to people but do you think have being the youngest kind of shaped you now and learning from all these older guys not just about fishing but just about life and how to be a gentleman and 100 percent. you know and that's another thing i can't thank Patrick and Meredith enough for it. Cause like I said, they saw something in me and they gave me my start, you know, a little 15 year old twerp. And then I got all these older guys with me, Max, Austin, Travis, um, you know, Drayton now and everything, but the original group will call it at the old shop. And, uh, I remember just feeling like, so not safe, but you know, always backed up. Like, you know, these guys are always go to bat for me. You know, they're always going to be here to help me out. And I uh, learned so much from them, you know, um, kind of where Max spoke in his podcast, um, saying how him and Austin went to Tennessee almost every single day, you know, cause they wanted it. They had the drive. That's kind of where I'm at right now, you know, learning from them, seeing how they did it. I remember when Max did his first float trip. Um, and so, I mean, I've, I've got that drive and, you know, I'm trying to just not follow in your footsteps. You got I mean, people to look up to. You got you, people to help you. Is yeah, that a good yeah, way to put yeah, it? Yeah. You've got the resource <laughs> and the means to do it, yeah. which is, and I think you, it wasn't an overconfidence that you had. It was never. It was never an overconfidence. It was underconfidence. But could you imagine, like you're 15 and then you're surrounded by all these 20 year olds? Like, yeah. you got to act big and bad. It's kind of yeah, like you're not wrong. You got to. Yeah. You you're the little dog at the park, and but you were there biting on all of our ankles and like proving yourself. Yeah. And it didn't form. It didn't like. Like I said, it wasn't a bad overconfidence, but it gave you the confidence. Because here we were, you know, 20 years old, you were 15, and you were hanging with, like, the older guys. Yeah. You know, and I think that's... I felt so cool. That, that <laughs> That's helped you now, though, because Let's go. You, you've got, like, this confidence about you um, when you guide and just, like, you know the moves to make always. Mm-hmm. And I think... I'm not, I'm not saying I'm patting myself because I was older. I'm just saying, like, we were older, and you were like, well, I'm going to be just as... I'm, you know, I'm going to do what they do. And then yeah. push came to shove and he was doing better than all of us at 16 years old. Yeah. So we'll <laughs> take that out of the podcast, yeah. hopefully. But <laughs> here, Yeah. I mean, so it's really, I think being young in your shoes because you had to perform. Yeah. Because, I mean, at the you know, as a team goes, the weakest link's going to get cut, right? Yeah. And then you were like, That's how I'm felt. not going to get cut. Yeah. And so you really progressed and matured like, boom yeah. and you were there so i remember for like my first you know because my internship only lasted a year mm-hmm. even though i was the intern for the next three years <laughs> you're still the intern <laughs> i mean kidding. dude i still get that you're not that's, 21 yet, yeah so. that's like austin's favorite line man. That, that'll like, never get old intern. it's kind of like it's it's almost like a heartwarming thing to hear it though because it's so it's just brings us back y'all to can't accept days. that i'm like the ripe 20s now <laughs> i know like you can't I still you're st- a ripe I, 20 you're like you're still 15 well I, every time i see you i still flash back to you getting out of your mom's car like sunglasses on pack on, on buff on buff everything on i was like yes. whoa <laughs> but yeah pretty amazing yeah um i i mean yeah y'all still call me the intern i mean sometimes you're not I mean, the intern I, I i tell you my first you know where i where i learned my place um, you know, the old shop used to be the spot, right? It used to be the hangout spot. You know, mm-hmm. we'd all just pile up in there after class and just hang out. 
till close. And uh, I was like, well, now what do we do with our life? But, you know, we'd all be hanging out there. And I remember my first week of my internship came in there and uh, I forgot how I got there, but somebody dropped off a spool line, not on a spool, just spaghetti, just so tangled, spool fly line. I walk in there and Max, I think you were looking at it or you were doing something with it. He looks up, he goes, intern. (laughs) (laughs) Untangle this. I don't think I would have done that. (laughs) It was jokingly, but I was like, all right, all yeah, right. I'll do it. All right. And I'm pretty sure they kind of like forgot about it, but I was sitting there like, I'm going to untangle all 90 feet of this. Yeah. And I did. And there did. you go. And yep. he was like, oh my God, you actually did that? You know, shortly after the shop dog, Gus, you know, oh, Pat yeah. Meredith's we'll big old black this. lab, one of them, Gus, uh, Gus ate a sock. <laughs> and yeah, uh, he did eat a sock. And Gus, you know, just is moseying in the shop. And, you know, it was small. It was like an apartment, teeny tiny little store. And Gus just walks out into the middle of it, goes, Bleh. just drops that sock, throws it up. <laughs> and Max, you know, big old macho Max, who's making me untangle this fly line, goes running out into the parking lot. I think you ran into the back first, and then you still smelled it. Yeah. And I was ran out gagging. into the parking lot, hands on his knees, gagging, <laughs> dry heaving. And we're sitting there just like, wow. Ouch. <laughs> And that was like my first experience of my now boss. <laughs> I've got a weak stomach, like really, like very really. sensitive to smells. And it just, if he like thinks some, of throw some up. Some days if I'm doing the dishes, it'll just like push me over the edge. <laughs> and I'm, I can't do it. And I'll be, I think the worst one ever though, and my wife was there and can account to this. I've, we had some potatoes that got bad <laughs> and I was on the porch hunched over like for 20 <laughs> minutes over a potato and it just the smell got to me so it's ironic that you're a fishing guide yeah i know yeah yeah he's like pumping stomachs and stuff for these fish yeah exactly well so while max in austin you know at during this time while they were kind of grinding it out in tennessee like we talked about mm-hmm. um you were getting stuff dialed here i was local crew baby <laughs> so yeah i mean were you were you put in a position where they were like all right carson we need you as like we need you to be like really specialized in the local area area or did you just kind of take that initiative yourself i just kind of took it took it upon myself because i mean i'd i'd you know driven all over the place you know before i'd guided um i mean like i said i've been i'm born in boone so i know it the absolute best um and so i kind of had like it's almost like you studied for a test right you know i kind of always had a game plan if i went fishing somewhere if i went guiding took a trip it's like okay i could fish here or i could fish here you know today's cloudy so this spot will fish good um so i mean i always had a plan and i just like you said i took it upon myself to just try and be the best i could possibly be in north carolina um because you know I always would dream and still do really, you know, run with the big dogs, as you call it, out on the big tail waters. And, uh, you know, a local guided trip versus a float trip, you know, it's like, oh, I'm a float guide, you know, versus, you know, local guide kind of can be not looked down upon, but it's definitely kind of cooler to be with, a, you know, with a boat guys, we'll call it. So basically, I wanted to try and take it upon myself to be like, I want to come back to the shop with my local trip, you know, no drift boat. And my guests are like, you know, to the moon, so excited, so happy. Like I want to do the best I possibly can with what I'm given. Um, not saying I wasn't given enough, you know, just what I can do in North Carolina, um, try and put my name out there and stuff like that. Um, so that being said, you know, that's, that's really what I did. And I would just grind the creeks every day, you know, whether I was working or not. So, yeah, I mean, you were, you kind of came in and had that, there was a, a little bit of a void there, like in that local, 
because we had people running float trips, but then our local guide number of people kind of went down and then Mm -hmm. you were like, boom, you stepped into there and you, you filled that void for a good while. Yeah. Um, you've taken a lot of trips and there's, I mean, there's from now that we own the business, um, the float fishing. Yeah. I mean, it's an important aspect of the business, but like the number of local trips that we bust out through that store in a year <laughs> is unflipping believable. People and like, walk. that's the local trips are what are actually, in my opinion, in a way more important than the float fishing because the local trips are what bring people back because most of the time, you know, when someone's doing their first fishing trip or fly fishing trip, we push them to do a local. So, you know, you doing the local stuff, you are so fundamental in continuing the ball rolling for the guide service because the local trip is what brings that person next year to do a float trip. So you are the one who set that relationship and gained their interest. So, you know, like local trips are so important, especially in our situation, being a tourist in a tourist driven area, we get a lot of people who are like, I want to try it. It looks fun. You know, you're the one who's actually making someone dream about fly fishing Mm -hmm. because you're the one who initially plants that in them. Yeah. Um, which is pretty amazing. Pretty cool to see. Locals can be, they can be tricky. Um, not tricky in a sense, but you put it perfectly. You know, when people come to us and they're like, you know, I want to learn how to fly fish or I want to do a guided tour or, you know, adventure, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Um, we always recommend a half day local wade trip because, you know, it's kind of less going on. It's much easier to be, you know, hand in hand with your, with your guest and, you know, coach them to the, you know, best of their ability on, you know, roll casts and mending and high sticking stuff like that. Instead of, you know, throwing them directly out on a drift boat and saying, you know, sling it, baby. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's, you're the building, you, yeah. you lay the building blocks and with when, the wade trips. I love to tell people, even if someone comes up to us, like, I want to do a float trip, but I've never fly fished. I'll even, you know, try and drop them down to a local and then tell them graduate to the float trip. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times, I mean, people want to wade, man. You yeah. get, you get people where it's like, you tell them, hey, man, we're, we're probably going to get skunked locally. You could probably catch 100 in Tennessee. And they're like, I don't care. I want to walk. Yeah. People want to walk, man. Well, that's what fly fishing is, right? You see, like, that's that's the a river. I want to be, ro- be one with the river. Yeah. <laughs> that's a classic thing, right? You know, mm-hmm. that's another, that's a punchline. It's like, you ever seen river runs through it? Young oh, Brad yeah. Pitt. We're not doing any of that today. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're gonna you're gonna roll cast. Roll cast. <laughs> See no, those no. big long casts he's making. You're not gonna make yeah. any of those. <laughs> people are like, a lot of times people are like, I watched a YouTube video last night, just like you know, so I don't come in here like an idiot. I'm like, well, whatever old guy you watched, <laughs> we are not gonna be bow and arrow cast. Like, this, I am not Joe Humphreys, neither are you. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so, and a lot of times people when they visit Boone's, Boone's such a you know tourist town, um. They, they, they want the Boone experience. You know, if you tell somebody like, yeah, you know, we'll book this trip, but we're going to head over to Tennessee. They're like, yeah, well, I kind of wanted to, you know, be in Boone and, and, you know, Boone, North Carolina, the destination, you know, and not come here and book with you guys and then go fish in Tennessee. So a lot of times I see that people want to, they just want to fish in Boone, even if it sucks, you know, people don't even care about catching fish a lot of times. So as long as you put on a smile, show them a good time, I mean, you know, it's all you can do. So Boone has some, I would say, some of the best fishing 
in the southeast. It, it, an hour from Boone in like that radius. Yeah. There's incredible fishing. Yep. And you know that obviously. But one of the things that we have run into, I guess, in the last couple of years is pressure. Yeah. There's a lot of pressure on yep. these streams. And that's just because one, you have a college campus, you have you have, you know, a bunch of college kids who are getting into fly fishing, which is great. Yeah. But then you also have a lot of people hearing about Boone and wanting to come to Boone. So as a guide, that can be tricky, you know, because you want to share the river with everybody and um, everyone has it want everyone should have an opportunity to go fish everywhere. Yes. Yes. But as a guide, you know, when you're taking multiple trips a week during the summer, almost every single day, how are you able to find like new streams and kind of, uh, you know, get away from that pressure in a way? It's that's, that's tough. And that is what I find myself as well as a couple other guys at the shop, Nick Wittick. Um, you know, him and I find, find ourselves twiddling, twiddling our thumbs in August, you know, mm-hmm. like, I'm booked today, tomorrow, the next day, the next day, the next day. And for the past week I've caught single digits and it's like, I don't have time. Like I got to go home and tie flies for tomorrow. I can't go to, you know, the neighboring County and find a Creek, you know? So a lot of times you don't have time for it. Um, but a lot of times it's a thing where you do a half day, you know, half day guided trip, and then you do a half day by yourself and then you just go fish something. And if it sucks and it sucks, but if it's good, then, you know, cut some tree branches down, possibly go guide it, make sure it's not privatized in any way. But yeah, it, it gets real tough, especially in the summer. Um, you know, as a guide service, we really promote public water and public access. Cause like you just said, everybody should fish. Everybody should have the ability to fish and have the chance. Um, and so, I mean, Boone's got an issue with it, with privatizing water and all. So, I mean, a lot of the spots that I grew up fishing and, um, fished with my brother and stuff, can't fish anymore. And it makes it tough. Um, you know, it's not rocket science. If you have, you know, a ton of public water and then it's dying into a tiny little bit, obviously all that pressure is going to be onto those couple creeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, fish can only take so much, man. Right. For sure. So, I mean. But that's where your being a Boone local comes in handy. Gets greasy, man. Because <laughs> that's like it, when you've struggled for a few days you have those little honey holes in the back of your mind yep. where you're like, I can go here and boom, yeah. you know, and I've seen you do it before. Like just, you've struggled for a few days out of your control struggle, whether it be to pressure, you know, just, and then you make a complete 180 and throw an audible and you go to some little, you know, like little P diddler Creek <laughs> that you found five years ago that you haven't been on in four years. Yeah. And you're just like, yeah, we're going to go here and we're going to do it. And then you normally have a great day. The so, audible is a good feeling, man. It is. But they fail. Oh my. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. But yeah, they fail. But I mean, you gotta, you always gotta have some kind of plan. And I mean, you know, picking it up and moving shop, you know, in the middle of a guided trip, you know, and having something work is a great feeling, but when mm-hmm. it doesn't work, it humbles you. It makes you better. I mean, that's happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I've, you know, completely moved spots, driven across the county before to a creek that has been public for my whole entire life. And then, you know, you get out there fishing, like, all right, guys, let's see if we can do it here. And then someone asks you to leave and kicks you out. So I mean, it's, it's tough. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, that, like Max said, growing up here and before I figured out the price of gas, you know, I, I, it's like I know where I like to think I know where fish are and how they feed, you know, yeah. throughout throughout the year and and Boone at least, you know. So, so one of the questions <clears throat> we'll get, get there in a second. Yeah, yeah. But one of them they asked about the regulations. So do you want to, just because we're on the topic of 
private water. You want to just really quickly talk about the kind of the regulations for that? Yeah. And um, what that looks like compared to say like a Montana. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, there's tons of different ways it can go, right? You know, it's all situational. It has to, it has to do with, you know, adjoining properties and property lines and, and, you know, state property and stuff like that. Um, But, you know, out West, there's a high watermark law, high watermark rule, whatever you want to call it. But basically, you know, as long as you are within the riverbanks or in the public right of way. So, I mean, if you're in the water or you're, you know, on the bank, good to go. As long um, as you got in somewhere that was public yeah, and then yeah. you moved in. Not like go. you can park at a private ranch and then just walk through and get in the water and be like, ha can't get me. Yeah. Can't do that. You got to, you know, public to private. So, um, Boone, you know, the state of North Carolina refuses to pass that for some reason. Um, and when I was young, I actually took it upon myself. Um, you know, I wrote a lot of letters. I talked to a lot of people on the phone as a little twerp, you know, a little <laughs> young kid. Cause I mean, it sucks. We need more of that though. Um, but basically kind of the way it works here, um, and I have to explain this to people every single day in the shop when they're asking where to go fishing or why I got kicked out of somewhere. Um, if someone owns one side of the river, you know, say they have a house on the river, typically they own out to the middle of the river, the river bottom, not the water itself, but the river bottom. So then if they decide to buy the other side of the river by that other bank, then they own that bank too, and then they, they adjoin in the middle. So they own both sides. They own the river bottom from bank to bank. So unless you are, you know, levitating or in a boat, not touching a rock, not touching any of their property, then, you know, you're technically good to go. But no one really ever does that around here. No, we don't have any – I think the term is navigable yeah. by vessel. Nothing's right? really so navigable. nothing in our area – you are – yeah, I can't really think of anything that would be – Maybe the new river, mm-hmm. you could be considered nav- navigable by vessel if you kayaked it or yeah, something. But if you touch a rock, but technically you touch, you're on their property. You're on their rock. You're on their property. But most of our trout fishing streams are not navigable uh-uh. by vessel. So I mean, you're kind of between a rock and a hard place there. Yeah, literally, <laughs> literally. <laughs> um, but I mean, it stinks, man, and. I, I can't put a number on it, but like I said earlier, a lot of the water that I grew up fishing can cannot go there anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's it's riddled with posted signs and, and stuff like that. So, I mean, um, it, it really stinks, but, you know, Spare Grill says you got to improvise, adapt, and overcome. Yeah. <laughs> I think one that kind of where we, like, I think part of the, when – we were doing our water. Yeah. One one of the creeks that really hit home for like all of us at Due South was Dutch Creek. Dutch Creek, baby. Because we all started on Dutch Creek. Like yeah. that was where we did all of our um we did we all started and kind of grew up guiding on Dutch Creek. That was always like our back pocket spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like in the fish population there used to just be unbelievable. Oh, like yeah. you could go and catch 40, 50 fish on dry flies and a half. Day. Wild fish. Wild no fish, stalkers. No stalkers. Wild fish. Yeah. And then I remember it was like the first or second summer we were all guiding pretty, you know, regularly. Um, a major section of it got posted. Yep. And we were all like, that's not cool. Like, yeah. that is really, really upsetting. I remember it. Because um, this place that, I mean, that was like where, where it got posted was like Nick Wittick's. I swear his boot prints were in the rocks there. Yeah, dude. Like, like, just, yeah, you like, don't, you don't mess with Wittick's fish and <laughs> just boom, you know, we were kicked out of that. And it was like, 
whoa, this is not okay. It was very, very yeah. upsetting. Yeah. And that's, I think, it was right around the time when you were making your um, Our Water video mm-hmm. when that happened. Um, and kind of, it's been a snowball effect since then of like more water getting privatized. And it's just, yeah. I remember that happening. My brother and I, Kyle and I are fishing Dutch Creek right at that same spot. And a gentleman comes driving up the road. And uh, I remember him yelling from the road. Cause Dutch is on the side of Dutch Creek road for the, for the most part, you know, where we fished it. Um, and I remember him yelling, are you from the guide service? And I was like, okay, kind of not really like, I'm not really a guide. I've done one trip, you know? And I was like, no. And he was like, drove away. That was that. Mm-hmm. And that guy posted it. He was, you know, wondering if we were guides and all. So he didn't want guides there. And I remember, you know, talking to my parents and thinking to myself, like, okay, so this label of working in a shop, being a guide, is this like restrict me from things now? It's like that guy, he didn't want guides there, you know? Um, so it's it's tough. But yeah, I remember that was right when you were making our water and uh, it's a perfect example of it, you know? Mm-hmm. And Dutch is, golly, I've fished Dutch in years. Well, it ain't any count anymore. I mean, it's, it's it, you can still go there and catch some fish, but like the days of going up there and, murdering they would those fish would swarm a dry fly yeah like just little wild rainbows they'd swarm yeah (laughs) you i mean the fish population there was so high and the fishing was so good you would literally catch fish on dry flies like three inches off of your boot yeah like as it was floating by your boot you were they were coming up like tracking it from upstream to downstream and devouring it going downstream it was one of the craziest like most fun fisheries for like two years and then i think it, part of it got privatized, and then we had some really nasty floods for, like, three years in a row. Yep. That pretty much – I mean, it completely changed the whole river bottom at Dutch. Yeah. Um, like, holes that we used to fish are no longer there. You know, new holes have developed. And the fish population there has kind of went down. But that was, like, a huge um, resource for our guide service mm-hmm. that just, like, one day just gone. And that was hard. Dutch was so great because it's like if you're fishing out in the Banner Elk area, you know, Banner Elk, Linville, Newland, if you're anywhere out there and it's not doing it for you and you're like, you could always go there. Yeah. Cause you gotta, you know, you gotta go past, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, Valley Cruz on the way back. And, you know, I, I'd done it so many times. It's like, you know, hour left in the trip, like reel it up y'all. Let's go try and hit Dutch real quick. And it always would produce something, you know? Always. Yeah. And, uh, now it's like, I, I wouldn't have a lot of confidence going up there right now. And I think it, I mean, it has to do with that section that got posted down at the bottom, the gorge section, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people call it. Um, and then now I've heard way, 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 way up high. Um, there's a, there's some people who have started asking you to leave. So there's kind of just one section right in the middle. It's sandwiched. And if anybody says, oh, I'm going to fish Dutch or I just fished Dutch, they fished that section. It's only a couple hundred yards. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're wild trout, you know. They're so elusive. They're now. they're they're delicate. Yeah, that the last time I guided Dutch, I think I fished it for twenty minutes, pulled my hair out and left because it was like a mini South Holston. I was spooking fish from like yeah. seven hundred yards away. Well, yeah. I think that shows how good one the fishery can be, like how good these wild fisheries can be. Yeah. <clears throat> but two, how how precious they are. They're delicate. And yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Because I think one of the things that we run into, and this is anywhere in the country, anywhere you fish. Yeah. But you fish, you find a spot that you like. You know that you like have success on. You yeah. Just, you just keep going there. You keep going there. But a, dude, can't honestly, for me, I can't go to. I don't even like going to a spot even like two days in a row. Like I'll go there, and if I do well, I'm like great. 
But then I want to find like another spot because I think it's important to you got to give these fisheries a break. Oh and yeah, so that's why yes. you need to be so versatile with knowing different streams, and especially as a guide, you can't be taking you can't be relying on say Dutch for every single guided yes. trip. You know that you're going to take your there's on. there's plenty of streams and creeks that I could name right now or certain sections of them that I will never take a trip on. I will never guide mm-hmm. because it's like. I mean, when you're guiding, you're, you're working. I mean, that's, you know, you're making money. So you're trying your absolute hardest to get those, get those damn fish to eat. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, you're fishing them hard. Um, so, I mean, there's creeks that I know are so good or such a special thing to me that I fished growing up or something like that, that I will, I'll never guide them. I'll never touch them. Um, I'll only fish them on my own because it's like, you know, you try and preserve it because they're delicate. Yeah. And I mean, with a lot of the public access shrinking and boon, it's like, you know, the next couple generations, you know, what, what is there going to be? Yeah. Um, and that's kind of a thing that's worrisome. Cause I mean, if all the water's posted up and there's only a tiny bit of public water, you know, the fishing community is going to shrink, you know? Yeah. Um, Hopefully this can kind of bring some awareness to that. Just, yeah, man. You know, it, it's obviously an we want everyone to fish, <laughs> yeah. like we were saying, but we do want to educate people on not hammering a spot and, you know, kind of destroying it. In yeah. I mean, whether you like it or not, there is a there is a public slash posted, you know, we'll call it issue in, in Boone and the surrounding areas. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it, there's a lot of people that just they don't want to see you. You yeah. know, it's not like, oh, I don't want you keeping my fish or a lot of times the people that ask you to leave, they don't even care about fishing. You no. know, yeah. they're just a lot of the times it comes down to a liability thing. People like people are so worried about like if you slipped and fell if it's going to come back on them because you were on their property, which is in a way it's like, okay, I I understand. That'd be a stretch, man. That's (laughs) I under, I guess I understand. But I mean, if you like blame the landowner because you fell, I mean, come on, your rocks are too slippery, you know, but that's, that's honestly a real thing. That's yeah. That was what closed Dutch Creek that like that section was that guy didn't want people getting hurt on his section yep. basically. And that's what led to the demise of that. There's yeah, that. And then like, I, like I said, there's people that they just don't want to see you. Yeah. Like they're vacation, like vacation, vacation homes and stuff. Yeah, man. It's yeah. vacation homes. Like that. A lot of times I fish spots seasonally mm-hmm. because I'll be like, eh, it's winter time. The people are here, mm-hmm. you know, they're at their house yeah. and they aren't nice, but it's like, you know, a lot of times it's, it's vacations home, vacation homes, people that don't care about fishing. Um, and I just wish I could talk to people, man. But I mean, you know, if someone asks you to leave, it's their property. You can got to respect them. Yeah. You have run into a few uh, situations though, where I know cause someone asked on here about private water, but yeah. if you do run into a situation like that, where maybe you're approaching someone that has p- private water, that you want to fish or they come out what, what, what's your smooth what, criminal man yeah <laughs> i mean you just got sweet talk them <laughs> um i i i always just try and explain to people that i am never going to cause trouble if that makes sense you know the whole oh i'll pick up trash that's a good thing i mean but i have i have plenty of people you know i know a lady out in fosco and she lives on a creek and she doesn't let anybody fish there and uh, i was fishing up in there one day and she called me over to her house you know yelled at me across the road she wasn't very nice and uh 45 minutes later after talking to her introducing myself and all she gave me her phone number and written permission to fish there whenever i want so a lot of times if someone kicks you out or you see a car creeping or you see people staring at you through the window wave at them you know signal if you can try and talk to them just explain what you're doing 
you know, introduce yourself, be nice. Cause a lot of times people, they, they, they just don't want to see you. They're worried of liability or sometimes people will just be plain mean and talking to them doesn't help. But I mean, if you do your part and say, I'm not a threat, I'm not harmful. I'm not littering your property or anything. I'm not taking your fish. It's all you can do, right. you know, and give yourself a good name and just don't dehumanize them. Exactly. You know, just be exactly. Yourself, be nice. And- but I mean, I, I, I can definitely lose my temper in some instances. I mean, you know, if you're fishing a creek that's, you know, within 40 feet of a roadway, you know, technically it's DOT property, kind of. And, you know, you can say that to people. I mean, you you can get in arguments with people, but I have learned from guiding because something that Patrick always taught me and something, you know, obviously you teach me is to always be professional and always be nice and always be the bigger person, for lack of better words. So if someone's being super mean to you or someone's asking you to leave one way or another, just be nice and respect them and leave a good taste in their mouth, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. is what it is. Because you being, you being nice to them, they might go home that night and change their mind and be like, well, you know, I guess he was super nice. He yep. was being very respectful of my That property. has happened. You yeah. Know, if, but if you would have been a turd to them, yeah. it wouldn't have been a daggum thing in the world that would have – it yeah. would have just – solidified their no in stone yeah basically but maybe i was a little harsh on that guy yeah exactly maybe i was a little harsh on that guy um and it i mean it happens so it does i mean just gotta be be nice to people i mean literally in fly fishing the golden rule treat others how you want to be treated you know fellow guides um fellow anglers people in the industry i mean we're all trying to do the same thing trying to catch fish and put smiles on people's faces right Mm -hmm. yeah as much of a bummer as it is sometimes you get to a spot and somebody's in in somebody's parked there somebody's in your hole yeah just be happy they're out there oh bummer they're there you know gotta go to the next spot that's a whole thing going on right now too about you know i hate that's the thing spots and and everything like that and i mean you just got to go and do it that's what so many people ask me coming into the shop and, and, you know, my friends, Oh, fly fishing is cool. How do I do it? You know, I don't want to book a trip though, or something like that. It's like, just do it. Just go out and try, you know, go get tangled, go throw your flies in the tree, learn, mm-hmm. you know, but, um, yeah, <laughs> dude, that's it. Well, dude, I think this would be a great transition to, to start going into some of these questions. And I think what's going to happen is we can, you know, I don't want these to be like one word answers. Some of them might be quick, but yes, no, it'll be good to, you know, <laughs> we'll use these as talking points and kind of go off and see, see yeah. what happens from there. But one of the reasons like I wanted to bring Carson on is because like we've been talking, he knows so much about small streams and growing up in a place like Boone, which that is the niche and the specialty. I just thought it'd be the perfect fit uh, to, you know, to bring some of these questions and hopefully we can, you know, we can all answer some of these and kind of give our two cents. Um, there's a bunch of these that were kind of crossovers. So there was just multiple questions. So I just kind of put it in, I just kind of generalized it. Um, but some other ones we, uh, we've got on here. I, I really appreciate all of you guys asking questions <laughs> though. We got like hundreds of questions. That's amazing. Yeah. It was, I'm cool. so stoked that you guys yeah. were so curious about all this and wanted to, wanted to learn. Don't bank on me, man. I'll do my best. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I wish I would have like <laughs> maybe categorized these into a better, order but they're kind of all over the place so classics so they're a little bit they're a little bit organized it's like max's boat yeah so we'll just we'll just start organized chaos (laughs) it is organized cups that's what we like so we'll start from the top um best small stream access 
trying to get away from some of the tourists in crowded areas uh, from Coach Tucker 54. Coach Tucker. So I think this is pretty applicable for Boone, especially. Um, You know, really, this is, you know, I know people have heard this before, but Google Maps is so huge. Oh, yeah. So one of my techniques that I use is what I tell people a lot is if there's a creek and stream in Boone that's this wide, at some point it's going to have fish in it. Like, I mean, there's fish at the Boone Mall. Yep. Yeah. There are fish in that creek. I promise. Mm-hmm. So what I tell people is if you know that a creek has fish in it, say uh, say Dutch, for example, Dutch Creek. If If I know that Dutch has fish in it, you know, I might look for feeders to Dutch. You know, say Clark's Creek, for example, dumps in there um, and, and Crab Orchard further up. And so, you know, I look for feeders on Google Maps and then I'll just drive out there. Because, I mean, you know, stuff from satellites looks a lot different than it does in person. Mm-hmm. And so, and that is something that I did when I was super young and first got my license was, I mean, you just have to go find places. You have to go look. Um, that being said, if you go out there and in the spot that, you saw on Google where you thought you might be able to get in right there. If there's a house or a driveway or something, maybe knock on the door and talk to him or something. But, um, you know, that's a huge question. That's a huge thing that people are asking these days or how do I get away from people? How do I get away from pressure? And that solidifies my point that public access is dying. Yeah. We also, we also want this segment to be, we got a lot of questions of like, where should I fish? And we, we all get those. I'm sure you yeah. guys in the flash have I ask myself that every day. <laughs> we, and yeah. And, but we want to educate you guys more so on how to find those places opposed to just giving you those places. Because if we just tell you the creeks that we're fishing, yeah, we've mentioned a few that we fish. But if we yeah. just give you those, you're not going to be learning anything. Yeah. So I think yeah. that's kind of the goal of this. You know, I think maybe one more point to piggyback off of what you were saying, Google Maps. Mm-hmm. Um, North Carolina does a really good job of they post – the fish in a or the public access trout streams in an interactive map yes it's a great thing right that map kind of pissed me off this past season <laughs> they posted some of my yeah, creeks yeah. so that <laughs> they map, updated it <laughs> that map's a great thing don't get me wrong but if you found it someone else has found it too yeah so for you to really find like a gem trout stream you got to kind of get away from the map because I can find the map. You have access to the map. Yep. You have access to the map. Everybody who has access to the internet has access to what that stream is designated. Yeah. And a lot of the streams that we fish are undesignated. Yes. And, you know, that's like you said, Google Maps is huge. Um, elevation maps are huge. Yeah. Um, if you can go in and look at a map and see what elevation that stream's at. And if you can get to a really high elevation, you know, more than likely there's going to be a population of fish in there. They might not be huge, but there's going to be a population because the elevation's high, the water's cold. It creates a good trout habitat. That's, that's something I started using this past season. Nick and I teamed up on it. Yeah. Nick, Nick Wittick's like the pioneer of elevation. He is. I give it all to him. He gets all the credit. Yeah. (laughs) He, I remember I walked into the store one day and I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> and he had like all these streams written down, how to get there, elevation, like, no, this, like, you got to start fishing it here because this elevation is high enough to keep it cold. Yes. Enough. And I was like, the dude is a wizard. <laughs> yeah. I was like, holy cow. Like yeah. you are 
innovating finding your own trout streams it was pretty amazing but that's the kind of stuff it's like that him going out of his way and doing you know and going in like finding these maps and like yeah. checking it out that's real like determination you know yeah and that's that's something i could touch on is street trout streams are so so different from one another like a lot of times people say oh you know how do i fish this creek oh it's just wild fish you know same old same old um something i've noticed is a creek from the top of it or where it begins or the upper section of it versus the middle and the bottom section of it they're so different seasonally um i mean trout they they are i don't want to say they're seasonal fish but they they pattern different differently throughout the seasons obviously and so for example summertime they're going to be in real shallow riffles where all the oxygen is wintertime they're going to be tucked up somewhere deep not really moving looking for little teensy tiny bugs um and so if you go to a spot something i notice about the people in fish and boons they do the same thing over and over and over again like oh i went to the park i went to the park went to the park didn't fish good it's like well maybe go way above the park maybe go way down from it and that's something that i do is you know if i fish the middle section of a creek we'll say you know where there's a ton of water above me and a ton of water below me and it doesn't fish good i'm not going to sit there and you know grind my teeth and change flies and lighten up my tippet i'm going to go way up and see if those fish are pushed way up for some reason maybe it's warm exactly maybe it's summertime it's warm exactly they're finding the more moving oxygenated water than you found yep. in the lower section. Exactly. Right. And you know, a lot of times, like he said, a Creek will get smaller up top and the water's going to be moving quicker and there's going to be more oxygen, you know? And a lot of times if a Creek dumps into a bigger river system, you know, say a Creek dumps into the new river. Um, a lot of times you can go down by the mouth of it and those fish are completely different. They eat different bugs. They act differently. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, creeks, creeks that, you know, support wild mm-hmm. trout, like, yeah, I mean, you can catch them on, you know, certain flies, you know, year round, but I mean, they're going to act differently and it's, it's all on you for how you target them, you know? So, I mean, if you're fishing a rig in the wintertime in the summer, you know, it's tough. Off of that, we did get a fair amount of questions. People asking about, you know, winter fishing tactics, winter fishing techniques, how should I fish in the winter? How do you kind of change your game up uh, small stream wise or just around here for the winter? Yeah. So winter, winter's tough. But winter is also one of my favorite times of year to fish um, because nobody fishes in the winter. Not a lot of people do it um, because it's cold. I mean, that's that. It's our off season right now. Um, So what I, what I think is to tell myself, you know, is I'm not going to set my expectations crazy high. There's not going to be a Creek in the winter time. That is going to be the one, the gym. Mm -hmm. It's not like you're going to go somewhere and catch 40 wild fish here and then the other spots are going to suck. It's going to be a handful of fish here, handful there, handful here. It's all going to be kind of kind of stagnant. Um, and so you can't really do much. Um, but in the wintertime, you know, people are really afraid, it, it seems like, to fish small flies. Um, but, I mean, they say, you know, one of the most common sayings of all time, smallest flies catch the biggest or most fish. But in the wintertime, the trout, they don't eat much. Their metabolism slows down. They don't want to move. You know, if, you know, you have, say, you're fishing a big girdle bug or a big profile nymph, and that goes flying by a fish's face, you know, it's like, I might move for that, but it's not in my line, right? I don't want to use my energy. I'm cold. You know, if you're cold, so is a fish. You're uncomfortable, so is a fish. 
And so I find myself fishing small midge patterns, small bluing dollop patterns, you know, wild trout are opportunistic. You know, it's not like they're sitting there counting your thread wraps on your fly. They're, they're like, put the fly in front of my face or don't. So, I mean, <laughs> that's a it's, really, really good way of was, describing yeah. wild fish. Yeah. That was great. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, if you're fishing teensy tiny little flies in the wintertime and you're just knocking them in the head, you know, you're, you're fishing in the right spots, the right areas. Um, and that fish doesn't have to do much except kind of just move his head and open his mouth. Mm-hmm. Then you're going to find some success, yeah. you know, but. And I think in the wintertime too, if you go out and you don't have success, I wouldn't ultimately just jump to the conclusion that you did something wrong. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's a big thing that I've, saw this winter in the fly shop is you get people who come in they're like, well, I didn't catch anything. What did I do wrong? And it's like, you probably really didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. But I mean, the water is so cold right now. Like Mm -hmm. the Creek behind my house here was frozen the other day on the banks. You know, that's cold. Yeah. So like you said, they ain't counting your thread wraps, Mm -hmm. you know, keep it simple, stupid. You know, if, if those fish are in there and they're willing to eat, don't, put so much pressure on yourself that you have to find the right fly. You know, sometimes there isn't a right fly. It's just, mm-hmm. did you get it in front of his face? Yes or no. Yeah. If the answer is no, then you might've screwed something up. Mm-hmm. But if you're getting the flies in front of the fish's face and they're not committing to it, it's probably just, it's winter time. It's cold. Yeah. You know, they don't, this time of year, they have to eat to survive, but it's, they're not in their summertime feed bag stage. Mm-mm. You know, they're just picking, they're picking something up to sustain. They're not like bulking up for the winter. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like, you know, if you fish a creek in the springtime when there's caddis, there's mayflies, there's tons of bugs out, and you're catching multiple fish every hole, or at least a fish every single hole. What that might look like in the wintertime is, every other hole you get a bite not yeah. a fish yeah you know every three or four holes you might get one little you know pansy dry fly eat or one might take your nymph but i mean it's just they're the fish are there but they're just they're yeah just kind of shrug mm-hmm. your shoulders thumb your nose mm-hmm. you know they're not they're not really feeling it like i like i said earlier one of my biggest things and this is all year round if you're cold and uncomfortable so is the fish and if and if it's the heat of summer and it's burning hot so is the fish. Yep. So don't, yeah, people blame themselves. They're like, I yeah. suck. It's like, no, no, man. Trout are moody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I tell people, I'm like, they're like, yo, are we going to catch fish today? Eh, depends on what mood they're in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. I that's, mean, you can only do so much. <laughs> that's a good point. One, one point I do want to hit, I don't know if we have a question about this, but it's something I've been kind of thinking about. It's like, I don't know if you have this question or not, but, um, a lot of times people ask like when should I fish in the winter time and uh you know if mm-hmm. you're come if you're coming up from Charlotte, Raleigh, Greensboro, somewhere like that where you have one day to fish. You yeah. got one opportunity to make it happen. One chance. Our, our winter time fishing up here find you a warm day. Yeah. Like find you a day where the sun's going to be beaming in the water. Those fish can wake up a little bit, you know, kind of shake off the frost. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, sometimes, like, if you can find a nice warm day in the wintertime, you might have a crazy day of dry fly fishing. Yes. So, you know, if, if, if you're at home in Charlotte or Raleigh or Greensboro right now and you're looking at the forecast and you're like, man, when should I go? When should I go? Wait it out. Find you a warmer day. Like, 
if you look at our weather right now, we ain't got one for the next week and a half. So snow, snow tonight. Boys. Bundle up, tie your flies, wait for that day where it's nice and warm, and come up and you know put yourself in the best situation possible. Yep. And if they're still not eating that day, then you know what? You tried, you did everything you could do. They yeah. just didn't behave. That's exactly so. what I was gonna say. Uh, a couple days ago, we had a warm day where it was like. I mean, I think it probably just hit the four. No, it hit fifty. Fifties, fifty-five, sixties in there, kinda. Um, and I remember thinking, like, I think you made me work. <laughs> I'm sitting in the shop. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting in the shop, like, oh my god, I wish I could be on a creek right now, because it's trout. And this is kind of a rule of all fishing. Anything different, you know? Yeah. When you're bass fishing and there's a tree falling in the river you know, or in the lake, you know, fish there. Cause it's different. You know, um, if that temperature comes up a little bit and the water comes up one degree or two degrees, that's different. It's almost like the fish are like, huh? They wake up, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and that, that, like you said, can be some of the, some of the best days of fishing you'll ever have. So one of the, um, I think we probably all get this question, um, a fair amount, but one of them off of this is like, when, when should I switch flies? And, yeah. And do you think it's more important, like, the fly's sake or kind of like we said, you know, finding your depth, making yeah. sure that at some point? Like, what what do you what do you think about that? So what Austin Vogel told me when I was I'll, – I'll tie it in, I promise. What Austin Vogel told me when I was learning how to row a drift boat, he kept telling me, he'd turn his seat around and look at me, dude, you are doing too much. You are doing way too much. Like, two oar strokes, not 80, right? <laughs> And so that is something that I see every single day that people do on creeks is they do too much. And I, I, I mean, I do it myself. You know, I'm not, I am not perfect. I mean, I'm not the best fisherman in the world. As simple as that. I'm not the best Creek fisherman. Um, but something I've, I've proven and tried is people will do too much when it comes to wild creeks, mm-hmm. dumb it down. Yeah. I mean, I'm with you on that one. I know you are. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't need to be more complicated than it, no. than it already is. Like you know? I'm, if I'm on a local trip, like I'm sticking most of the time I'm sticking to it. Like if I know my depth's right and yep. I'm getting in front it's of the, the biggest fish, thing. like I'm, I'm more of a stick to it kind of guy. And maybe I'm not everybody. I know some people are like change, 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 change. Yeah. I'm a more of a pattern stick to it kind of guy. Like if there's a pattern that I have had success on in the days pre or prior, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to stick to that pattern. Ain't broke. Don't fix it. That's right. So I, uh, you know, and I get that question a lot. They're like, it, maybe we're having a slower day. And my guess, my guess will be like, why aren't you changing flies? It's like, well, I know they eat this fly. Yeah. I've done it. I've caught however many thousands of fish on this single fly. Yeah. It's not that our flies wrong. It's more of a situation thing where, you know, they're just not feeding well today. And I think if you change flies so much, you're losing a lot of, you're yeah. losing a lot of your fishing time, time, fishing yeah. time. And, um, you know, the flies you're changing to, if you, if you get desperate, they're not always going to be perfect for the situation. Ooh. So if you're fishing a deep hole and you've got this, you're changing to this fly and it's too light and you're not yeah. getting to them, you know, if you would have just stuck to the fly that you had and yep. got it down to that fish's face, you would have had a better chance. I mean, it, like I said, I mean, people do too much. Um, dumbing it down is huge when it, you know, fishing on creeks, right? Whether you're fishing for brown trout or rainbow trout or, or, or native brookies, whatever you, whatever you want, 
people people do too much. The biggest thing in creek fishing, in my opinion, you know, obviously fly fishermen have differing opinions, but in my opinion, the biggest thing is 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 depth and weight. And that's a huge thing for fly fishing across the board. Mm-hmm. Depth and weight are huge. All you got to do is put your flies in front of that fish. Then people are going to be like aware of the fish, right? If you're fishing holes where you think trout may be, and you're reading the water, looking for well-oxygenated areas, depth, eddies, such, and you're fishing, you have correct depth and you have correct weight, then you're going to succeed to the best of your ability. And what I mean by that is you can't control the fish's mood. If there's a fish sitting in the middle of a riffle and you put your fly in front of his face, your bead-headed nymph, and he doesn't need it, he doesn't want it. And yeah, you can change flies once or twice. Yeah. You know, maybe put on a smaller fly or a bigger profile fly. But if the fish doesn't eat, you know, it doesn't want to eat and you can't do anything about it. Yeah. You know, so move on from it. Don't get hung up on it. I, I have so many people. I'll go fishing with one of my friends who doesn't fly fish much or I'll go, you know, fishing i'll take a guided trip who you know was someone who's trying to learn how to fly fish and really get into it and they have some you know they're kind of a novice and people will rig up their dry dropper rig like 10 inches deep with no weight you know like a weightless bug um and you know not knocking on people i mean you got to get into the sport somehow yeah everyone's been there right but the biggest thing that i can tell people that are listening to right now depth and weight if you're fishing a fly that will sink to the bottom of the river you know, and knock on the rocks and gets down pretty quick, right? As your dropper, you know, like a natural bug, you know, a midge. When in doubt, fish Mid- a midge. Midge it out. Midge it out. Yeah, you know, safety flies, like you said. Yeah. And people like to rig up their stuff shallow, okay? If we're sitting here talking about knocking these fish in the head and making your fly visible to them, people, you know, if, if you're fishing your rig where your dry flies right here and you're bottom nymph is right here and you're 10 inches deep fishing in a hole that's five feet deep i mean it's not rocket science you know unless the fish are really fired up and they're going to come up to your rig but to effectively fish it you want your flies to get down you know my standard thing if i go to a creek or a new stream or somewhere i you know don't fish much i'm going to put on a dry fly and i'm going to put on a dropper i like to do anywhere between two and a half to three and a half feet between my dry fly and my dropper just to know that I'm getting to those fish and I'm getting down to them. And if I keep getting hung up over and over and over again, I might shorten it a little bit, but before I shorten my rig and then go up to a deeper hole and wish I didn't, I might just, you know, put a lighter fly on mm-hmm. or a different profile fly, something on a jig hook that's going to flip upside down and not get snagged as much. Um, minor adjustments are huge. Instead of, I got to chop off my whole leader. Yeah. You know, the whole thing. minor adjustments. Yep. So well, that, and it, you just talked about things you can't control, which is the fish's mood, what yeah, the fish man. is going to eat. But I think what you can control is the flies you're using. Yeah. And one of the questions asked by Taylor Thomas, um, she said, do you tie your own flies? And then there was another question that was very similar. Should I get into tying my own flies? And so I think, and that's from Amon Hoover. Mm-hmm. I think that's, something that you've really done well is with kind of specializing your flies for the certain areas that you're fishing. Oh, it's a huge, huge advantage. So talk about, talk about how you can have control over your flies that way instead of maybe just buying at a shop. Yeah. Um, well, I started tying flies right when I started fly fishing. I got my first fly tying kit when I was nine years old. Um, and I still use tools from that kit. Like I literally just got a new vice. vice. I was using the Cabela's Deluxe. I mean, 
A1, <laughs> yeah. baby. Anyways, um, the advantage when it comes to tying flies. After you pull all your hair out and slam your head through the wall a couple times learning how to tie flies, then you know you can, you can personalize them to exactly how you want them. I have people, you know, we have a lot of people come in the shop and they're like, this fly smacks fish. And they're like, but it's just a little heavy. It's like, do you have them with smaller beads? It's like, nope, that's it. Yeah. So a lot of times, you know, I fish flies and I know work, like Max said. Um, you know, sometimes you can tie prototype flies. But I mean, for, you know, if I'm going to, if I got a game plan for the next day, like, all right, it's going to be warm tomorrow. I'm going to fish this creek. And, you know, that creek's pretty flat, shallow riffles. You know, I'm not really going to fish a fly that's crazy heavy, you know, because I want it to just kind of hang in those riffles. Um, being able to tie flies, if you have a fly that works, you know, you can personalize it for different situations. You know, if you're like, all right, this fly works here in North Carolina, I'm going to tie it with a bigger bead, give it a little bit of a bigger profile and fish it in Tennessee. You know, so I, you know, I would encourage everybody to get into fly tying because, you know, I like to say it's an art. You know, it's an escape for me. You know, if I don't want to do homework anymore, I'm going to sit down and tie flies. Um, and it's it's always something to do. And one of the best feelings I've ever had in my whole experience fly fishing is catching a fish on a fly that you tied. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's so fulfilling. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then, you know, it's it's just a blank blank chalkboard from there. You know, you can come up with tons of different ideas, patterns, and make your secret fly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I do. I, I really recommend encourage people to get into it. So it's a really cool thing to take up. Yeah, that's great. And I know Max. Obviously, we've talked about this. I think we talked about it last time, but just different bead sizes for what mm -hmm. you're doing for different yeah. situations. Yeah, it might be the same fly, but it has three different bead, bead sizes. sizes. Yeah, yeah. And like in our in things our, like that. In our fly yeah. shop, we do we try really really hard to carry <clears throat> like different weight and size of multiple bugs so like a lot of times you come in if you're looking for a copper john we'll have it in a 14 16 18 20 so that you can you know like you can have a shallow fish in one but you can also have a deep yep. um deep hole fish in one as well you know um so yeah but on, well, i guess where i was getting at with that is Unfortunately, I can't stock everything. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I stock the stuff that I, in my opinion, is going to provide people with the best case scenario mm -hmm. to catch fish while they're here. Um, but I can't, I can't have every size of every bead of every hook, you know, of every pattern because our fly shop's only 900 square feet. If I had that, we would literally have thousands of square feet of fly yeah. boxes but what you know tie and flies does for you is you can have you a handful of everything you would ever need yep um and it is fun it's very and like you said when you catch a fish on a fly like one of my favorite things is i maybe i shouldn't anyways i'll be sitting there tying flies and might have one too many beers and you have like this mad scientist creation <laughs> pop up into yes. your head and you tie it and you're like yes and then you go the next day and it's like boom you catch a fish <laughs> on and you're like awesome because you like i thought of this last night and you tied it just on a whim you're like eh, i think it'll work and then boom there it works and you're you've got another fly to add to your quiver yep. that you can rely on totally you, dude. yeah totally secret flies man it, it it is a cool feeling like tying something that's kind of weird and, yeah. and and that's another tip be weird yeah. you know it's like if everybody fishes this hole you know fish it differently you or know everyone fishes this fly yeah 
yep. try a little something a little different. Be weird, you, you know. know? Mm. This kid ties he ties weird stuff. Yeah. And then he loves to call me and tell me he's like, I got a secret fly. I'm not telling you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll tell you just so I can brag. <laughs> there you go. But it goes both ways. We do it. We we've actually we've tied a lot of flies and learned a lot from each other about flying tie. Well, I've definitely learned something from you. I don't know if you've learned anything from me, but, um, like <laughs> no <different>. comment <laughs> learn, you know, like we'll, one of us will tie a pattern and then we'll kind of, one of us will morph it a little bit and make yep. it better, which is kind of fun. We talk <laughs> about <laughs> a lot of the times Carson will show that me is this fly and I make it better. He no, did just one kidding. time, <laughs> just one kidding. time I gave you a fly pattern. You're like, what? I use gray thread and it's better. Most of the time it's the other way around. I'll show, I'll show Carson something. And, um, he, Carson's an amazing fly tire. I, I like to think I'm proficient at what I use on a daily basis. I Mitch. wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say I'm, a, I'm an amazing fly tire by no means. Um, but Carson can be very creative with what he ties and he's made a lot of my fly patterns better. Um, which has been pretty cool. It's like competition, baby. Yeah. And that's what's made us get better as a whole. It's like we have this group of guys that is so uber competitive. It's like every day we go out, it's like, screw you. I'm doing better than you today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, but it's always friendly competition, and it's made us better. Yeah. Pretty cool. Of course, man. It is. No, Dude, I think that's great, especially for fly sake, because that's probably the most asked question is like, what fly do I use? Yeah. Or, and that's hopefully some good information for people to kind of go apply it to their game. I mean, it's like as, as long as you're not fishing something that is so I, – I mean <laughs> – I don't know if you're fishing in a tiny creek and you're like dead drifting a bonefish fly, like that probably wouldn't work. <laughs> it might though. You never it, know. You never know. Dude. <laughs> that could be the new meta. <laughs> yeah. But but as long as you are fishing something that works, right? I like to tell people old man flies, yeah. copper johns, pheasant tails. I mean, they work. Mm -hmm. So I mean, fish them and 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 variate them. You know, yeah. um, people worry about what fly to use, but it is not. It is not as much about what fly; it's just how you're presenting, presenting it, it yeah. right? And how you're approaching that fish. People, you know, if you walk right up on a hole, the fish is going to spook, or at least he's going to know you're there. So, I mean, no, don't great. stress about the flies. Well, that, that's a perfect transition. There's kind of like two questions, but let's talk about kind of approach. And so, this first one is from Zach Marini, and he asked the best way to approach a new stream via Google Maps and avoiding private property. And then we'll talk about approach. And then I want you to also go into this next question, which is tips on positioning, kind of where to stand and, you know, kind of where to, how to approach the yeah. actual stream. And that's, that's a good from question. Yeah, it is. door 32. So, door. Yeah. D-O-R-R -R 32. Ah, okay. Yes, sir. <laughs> so um, I think that'd be a great way to talk about approach, those two questions. Yeah. So approach, that's another huge thing. Um, I mean, really, when you're fishing a wild trout stream, there's only a few boxes you got to check off for everything that you can do right, and and then a ton of boxes for stuff that's out of your power and control. One of those boxes is is approach. Always, always, if you can, like always, fish upstream, mm -hmm. right? That is a given thing. Trout face upstream. They sit there, you know, flopping their gills around, making oxygen within that cold water. 
they don't face downstream. They face, and I mean, they do. You see it sometimes, but if they do, it's kind of weird. But they might swim downstream, but they're not going to face. Yeah. No, they'll swim and turn around and yeah, looking right back yeah. upstream. And um, sometimes there's fish in the park, man. They're like facing the ground. Yeah, <laughs> we don't know. What's How going do on. you attack that? That's impossible. The stalking system here, the, wh- is the whirligig. Carson's yeah. figured it out though. Some he can catch them if they're on top of the water. He can catch them if they're in the trees at the park. The old side drift. <laughs> oh God, but yeah, so. If fish face upstream, I mean, not rocket science again, you know, sneak up on them. If you're walking down on a stream, walking downstream, you know, the fish are going to see you. They're going to feel you. Yeah. That's, that's something that's big that a lot of people don't realize is like, they're like, yeah, I stayed behind the hole, but like, you know, the fish still spooked. It's like, well, did you kind of like meticulously walk up there? Or did you go running up there? Yeah. So, I mean, the only real tip I can have for you is, you know, the one kid asked about Google Maps and, and private water. You can't really tell if something's private from, from Google unless you have a, a predetermined knowledge of it. Like if I go rolling up to an Elk River Fishing Club, like, ah, I could probably get in right here. No. no. So like I said earlier, you just have to go there. And if there's a ton of houses and a ton of posted signs and purple paint on the trees, a lot of people don't know that. Purple paint means private. Yeah. If you see purple paint on a tree, it's private. So um, if you go there and you see a bunch of red flags... Even if you see a 38-inch brown bow <laughs> rising on sulfurs, don't do it. Just be the bigger person, and, and you know, it, it's trial and error. But if you get in there and, you know, it seems okay and there's no signs or anything, give it a whirl, you know? Um, but, uh, yeah, get into the creek. And a lot of times the spot where you get in, I don't really fish it. I'll get in and then walk up a little ways and then start fishing. But, I mean, you'll see people get on their stomach and, like, army crawl up to a hole to approach it that's i mean i guess needed in some situations but not really maybe like some really stealthy brook trout fishing yeah but um, it's you don't need to go again don't overcomplicate it exactly yeah. i mean you don't need to wear a ghillie suit to catch a brookie so i mean if you're that if you're sick gear <laughs> fish a flage <laughs> but if you're uh if you're walking up the creek slowly you know you're not wacky wave on flable tube man throwing your arms everywhere <laughs> Then, I mean, you'll be okay throwing a cast here and there, throwing casts above you, and just working your way up. Yeah. You know, dumb it down. It is not as hard as you think. You what, know? Some, something that was really interesting that I read one time is a fish can actually see totally. you um, from if you, if you were upstream of a fish, he can see you. I think it was from 40 feet away. Yeah. If, if you are above him, looking down at him and he's looking up at you, he's going to spot you from 40 feet away, Mm -hmm. which you are already at a severe disadvantage there because there is nowhere on our small creeks where you're going to be able to lay out a 40 foot cast without getting tangled or into a tree. Yeah. So just something to maybe think about for the listeners is there's, if you're above them, they're seeing you and there's not really anything you can do to fix that. Yeah. You know, and people, you know, and another thing they'll be like, you know, I spook these fish or I fish a great hole and I don't get a single bite. It's like, all right, well, you spooked them. It's like, well, I walked up from behind it. A lot of times I'll hear, you know, I, I see people will approach a hole correctly, but then they, they over, they overdo it. They walk right up on the hole and they cast it right in front of them. Yep. You know, you have to stay behind that fish. You're sneaking up on them essentially. Right. And so, I mean, and like I said earlier, it's like fish, they can feel you too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have... And they can feel your line. No, oh, yeah. It's another thing. Yeah. So... That's another thing on, high, on on creeks. If you don't have to use your fly line, 
don't. Don't. The yeah, don't power use to it. You. Yep. I mean, just have your leader hanging out of your rod. Mm-hmm. I mean, just so you're not throwing that fly down on the water and everything. Cause trout, I mean, they're little sissies, man. They I are. mean, they're, they're moody. They're scared of you. I mean, I wish they would just sit there and leave their mouths open, but mm-hmm. it's cool that you can cast. Like, that's great yeah. that you can make a good cast. But most of the times on these small streams, you, it's not necessary. You just need Mm-mm. simple roll cast and yeah. use that length of your rod and mm-hmm. your the reach of your arm to get those extra couple feet. And literally, like we've said, high you can, stick, high yeah, stick, high stick. High stick. If you can ideally get your line in a hole and have not even your like leader touching, and yeah. it's literally just your your dry fly to your dropper. You're in business. That is the ideal setup. I, so, I tell people if you can high stick, do it. Yeah. I mean, every situation, if you can high stick it, do it. Another like point on the approach, and I'm not trying to infringe on what you're saying, but it just popped into my head. Um, a lot of the mistakes that I see um, Wake up. with people fishing, a, like if you come up to a, a big hole on a small stream, don't just automatically bomb a 30-foot cast to the head of the stream. Yeah, it's big. Because if you bomb that cast all the way to the head of the stream, you just laid out 20 five feet of fly line into a hole that hasn't had any disturbance all day. And then you just drop down your fly line into this hole and you basically ruined everything between where your fly line landed or where you you are and your fly line stopped. So pick it apart, go small cast, small cast, start it closer to you Mm -hmm. and then branch out, add two more feet, go a little bit further and then a little bit further until you work the whole way of the hole. What do I need to do? We, sorry, we have a we have a GoPro. Error. Can you just? I just need you to touch the top. All right, guys, we're back. We just had to take a quick uh, quick snack break. Snack break. But I wanted to before we move on to the next question, we were just talking about approach, and I know you mentioned this earlier about Dutch Creek. You know, you look for the tributaries. I think mm-hmm. when you first are to break that down even more, when you're looking to find a stream that has trout, look yeah. for a main body of water. Look for like the big. I wouldn't say so much a tailwater, but look for a big water, body of water like the Watauga River. Uh-huh. And then from there, you can look at all of those tributaries, which a lot of those can be actually fairly big. Mm-hmm. And then from there, there's even more tributaries. So just look for those main bodies of water. There's also like the New River. There's all these different bodies of water wherever you are. Yep. And then it starts from there. I mean, it's the basics of like a river system. Mm-hmm. You know, if you think about it, just look for that main river. And if there is trout in there. Or if there's smallmouth in there, yeah. there's probably going to be smallmouth. There's probably going to be trout in the tributaries. Yep. You know? Um, and that's that's another thing. Like, I, I don't want to, like, label myself as, like, a like a stream nerd. But I try and if I'm going to go fish somewhere new, I'm going to try and do my homework and study it. And kind of really think, you know, okay, there might there's probably going to be rainbows in here. You know, so I'm going to prepare accordingly. There's probably going to be brown trout. And kind of do my homework before I go kind of have like a predestined knowledge of it. Um, but really, man, it's just, it's trial and error. Um, you know, you're going to go somewhere and it might be great or it might suck or it might be somewhere in the middle. Um, but you know, make those mental notes, make the minor adjustments and think about it. I've gone, I've gone to plenty of creeks that I think are going to be awesome. Done my homework, like high elevation. It's great. It's awesome. Get there. And it's like, there's no way a trout could sit in here, you know, mm-hmm. or it, you know, you don't get a single bite. There's just not fish in that part of the Creek. But just because there's not fish there, you didn't do good. There doesn't mean that 900 yards below it isn't good. Right. You know? So, um, you know, I like to say, give, give places chances and just use trial and error. 
So, I mean, not much to it. Absolutely. No, that's great. Um, okay, let's see. Can you catch Biggs on 5X Tippet? Asks Biggs. Zach Rogic. I think that's how it is. Biggins. Biggs. Yes, you can catch big fish on 5X. <laughs> we catch big fish on 6X. Dude, I caught a 23 on 6X yeah. two weeks ago. That's right. So here's how I'll put it. You can catch big fish on 6X. You can rope big fish on 5X. It is. <laughs> 5X compared to 6X when is you're like, like oh, whale rope, when man. When you're guiding with 5X, it's just like someone hooks a fish, you're like, crank that bitch in. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Like real, don't stop. <laughs> but, but I mean, yeah, that's kind of that kind of ignorant to say, especially to someone who's getting into it, right? Right. You show someone 5X tippet, and they're Girl, like, what? I can't even see that, yeah. right? Um, personally, I, I'm a sucker for 6X fluorocarbon tippet. I fish 6X fluoro unless it is not working for me at all. Um, but, you know, 5X, I tell people, is the Swiss army knife of tippets. You can go to a pond and catch bluegill, largemouth bass, on it. You can catch trout on it. You can catch big trout. To answer his question, yes. And you can catch small trout on 5x you know 5x is you can always get away with 5x um but you know it's all situational say you're you know fishing in the summertime and you're fishing a creek that has barely any water in it because it hasn't rained in months which that happens we have droughts. especially here yes yeah. we have droughts um you gotta lighten up that tippet sometimes um a lot of times just lightening up your tippet one size is what gets you catching them and, and it has success. And that is a perfect example of a minor adjustment. Yeah. Um, if someone's fishing five X and uh, a chubby and a Frenchie and it's not working, don't change the flies, you know, that, and that's just an example. A lot of times people want to change the flies, go home, change how they tied the fly. Maybe just lighten up your tippet. You know, like I said earlier, checking boxes, you know, all right, I've lightened up my tippet. I've changed my depth that's all i can really do you know um sometimes just you know chucking that 5x away and putting on straight 6x will get you catching fish um something that i i I say a lot when when you're hooked up to a big trout is and it's kind of silly but um I, i think it's good um you're on their schedule not yours right yep so you know when max is over in tennessee hooking these mid 20s wild brown trout on size 18 dry flies that hooks small so you can't just hook that fish and rip him in right yeah that was a 30 minute long fight yeah i mean six x you're on his schedule not yours i mean you're sitting there like oh my god i want to hold this fish i want to see it i just want to see it don't don't rope him (laughs) um and so biggest thing is let the rod do the work play the fish you know don't overplay it you know you don't want to stress that fish obviously but the biggest thing for people getting into fly fishing is they think it's bass fishing or they think it is saltwater fishing where you're using heavier line where you can hook that fish and, and get his ass in. Kevin Van Dam boat flip him. Yeah, yeah man, buddy. literally. And so, I mean, um, play the fish. You're on his time. If that fish runs, let him run. Don't lock the line down, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and again, I don't want to sound ignorant with it, um, but just, just let that fish do his thing play them and and get them in don't biggest tip when you hook a big trout 
Don't yank him in. It's not a battle. You're never <laughs> going to overpower him no. on fly fi- when you're fly fishing. If you're fishing 0x tippet to midges, yeah, you probably could. But, but you would have never hooked that fish with 0x. So. So. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But 5x, I mean, I, I personally, I, I don't want to say, yeah, bro, I only fish 6x. No. <laughs> but, I mean, I, I love, I like 6x tippets. It's just kind of my thing or, you know, what I fish a lot. Um, fishing 5x makes me personally feel better because it is stronger. Um, and, and I feel like I have more insurance with it. You know, it's a great tip to start on great tip to learn on and, and you can use it in so many different situations and catch so many different variations of trout. <clears throat> yeah. So, no, that's great. Uh, there's an, another guy asked a question, uh, you know, kind of along those lines, like how to fight them. So that was Chris Ray BR who asked that. So I think yeah. that kind of answers it. And I think a simple tip for fighting a fish, if they're going say left, Pull your pull your rod right. Pull their head back a little bit, so you're kind of pulling the opposite way. Because also, if you're pulling the same way, you might pull that hook out. Yeah. So that's just an easy way to kind of get the fish tired. People, they go left, you pull right, and vice versa. People will argue with you on that. Yeah. I mean, there's so many different ways to fight a fish. Right. right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at some of these, you know, tight line nymphers, these these comp anglers. I mean, they hook a fish and they're like rod tip down. They're like almost. fight. I dare you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's they're saying I'll bring quickly. They bring it in. Yeah. People will try. People will catch a, a 20 inch fish. That's juiced up and they won't even let that fish think about running. And it's all the rod angle. Yeah. That, that's it's, it's you're using your rod. Your yeah. rod's your best friend, yeah. you know, um, to a beginner or to somebody who's asking how I fight big fish. When I first got into fly fishing, I couldn't catch big trout. Like I would hook them and lose them and hook them and lose them. It's because I was pulling too hard on them literally mm-hmm. and not using my rod. Um, I, I, I love coaching people who are hooked into big trout because it's such a like exhilarating thing. And you're thinking so much on what to do. Um, a big thing is stay calm and just kind of relax and, couple couple really big points keep your rod tip up high if you can if there's trees above you don't throw your rod in the tree obviously but keep it as high as you can high to the sky that's like leverage the one of the main points like if you don't take anything away from this if you're fighting a fish always 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 keep your rod tip as high as you can Mm -hmm. because that rod being up is your shock absorber you know you're if you point your rod straight at a fish and he shakes his head, all the brute force of him shaking his head is going to be on your knot. Yep. Or if you keep your rod tip high and that rod's dancing and bouncing, that's absorbing. It's a shock absorber. It's just like the shocks on your car. Yep. When you hit a bump and the your car's shocks adjust that's what keeps your ride smooth, it's right? Protecting your tip. It's protecting rod. your yeah. yes. But if you don't have a suspension on your vehicle and you hit a bump, you're gonna blow your tires, break your rims. It's like the same thing. Yeah. If, keep your rod tip up, protect your tip. It's like when that fish shakes his head, if your rod is pointed at him, because when that when a, when a trout runs, it's gonna pull that rod down. So mm-hmm. when I tell people, if you feel him pulling that rod down, let him have line. Let it go. But it's like when you. If your rod's pointed right at him, just like Max said, you know, when that fish is head shaking and making vicious moves and stuff like that, it's all on your tippet. Yeah. But when you have that rod up high, and I literally, like, hold it as high as you can. Yeah. Because leverage is your best friend. Because the higher you have that rod, the more leverage you have, and the harder it is for that fish to evade you and evade your hook and evade your fly, right? And so, you know, when that rainbow takes a huge head shake, that rod absorbs it and protects your tippet from popping, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and 
So, I mean, that's how a lot of those, those European style anglers, those comp anglers, they'll, they'll hook a huge fish and drop their rod tip and get on their knee and put their rod tip in the water sometimes and prevent that fish from fighting and just steer them right into the net. Yeah. Um, but they're always keeping a bend in their rod. Yeah. So they might, like a Euronymfer might not keep their rod tip high. They might drop it straight down to the side, yep. but that rod still has an aggressive bend that is going to protect mm-hmm. that tippet. Yep. Um, they're never, you're never going to see a fly angler point. Like it's the complete opposite of tarpon fishing. They always say when you're tarpon fishing, yep. bow to the king. You know, and they point that rod straight down at the tarpon. You don't really want to do that trout fishing ever because um, the bend in that rod is what's protecting you. Um, So if that fish jumps, maybe don't bow to him like this. Maybe give him some slack this way, but keep that rod tip up. So uh, just something to think about there. I mean, I... You know, I, like I said, I love hooking big fish with beginners because it's like shit hits the fan <laughs> and it's fun and it's so fun. And I love doing, I love telling people, they're like, you know, a lot of times, well, what if we hook a big fish? It's like, oh, we'll cross that bridge and we get there and it's going to yeah. be fun. <laughs> um, but I mean, just the biggest thing is a fish is a fish. So, I mean, a trout is going to fight, you know, a 12 inch trout will fight like a 20 inch trout, but the bigger fish is just, it's going to be more exaggerated. So it's yeah. like. When you hook that fish, a lot of times a big trout will take an initial run and, and they kind of, you can gauge how hard that fish is going to pull and stuff like that, how it's going to fight. As long as you got your rod tip straight up to the sky, high as you can. And if you feel that fish pulling, letting him have your fly line, you know, letting him take it out of your fingers, um, instead of just letting it go, always keep the tip of that rod bent. And this is going to be kind of hard to explain, but if that fish takes a huge run, say, and you lose that fly line, you let go of that fly line by accident, and you're trying to get it back, and that fish has straight slack, and he's about to get the fly out, stick the rod up as high as you can, because at some point, you're going to pull your line taut, because you're sticking your rod higher and higher, and that is going to create leverage, and then it's going to get you tight with that fish again. So, when in doubt, get that rod up high, and let that fish fight, and if he pulls, let him go. But if he's coming at you, strip and always keep that rod bent and just wait for your wait for the right time to net him. Um, but uh, it's good. kind of something that you have to learn how to do. I mean, I could say as much as I can right now. You got I mean, to do it. But it comes down to something I say every single time my guest loses a big fish. If they're a beginner angler, you got to lose one to catch one. Yep. Like, you, I mean, we've all lost big fish. And, you know, you we've all got schooled, but it makes you know what to do the next time. So if you lose a big fish, don't feel bad. Yeah, it's going to suck because you lost it. But uh-huh. the next one you hook into that's of that caliber, yep. um, those gears are going to turn. And you're going to be like, oh, I did that wrong last time. We're going to fix that this time. And, you know, you're going to have a much better chance to catch that fish. Keep your rod high. Keep the tip of the rod bent. Even if it's just a little teensy tiny bend something to keep that fly there if someone's i mean yeah yeah, literally like if someone's tugging on your shirt and then all of a sudden they stop pulling on you like obviously you're gonna get away right i mean same exact principle just keep the rod tip bent keep the tension you're on his time that was good no that's great i know we briefly taught we mentioned euro nymphing in comp fishing yeah but i had a bunch of questions about euro nymphing versus indicator nymphing on a small stream so Mm -hmm. 
I'm going to ask, which do you think is more effective, number one, and two, which do you prefer? Um, It's tough. I'd say you could compare Euronymphing to indicator fishing better on a bigger river where there's different tactics and ways that you can succeed. On a wild creek, I mean, there's not many... There, there are ways to go about it. There's different ways to go about it. But it, it, it boils down to putting the fly in front of the fish's face. But if you're on a tailwater and you see a fish, you could sit there changing flies all day long, and then some, you know, he'll eventually eat it, not, not on a creek. Um, indicator fishing. Never, ever really fish a bobber in a creek, a bobber or a big tufty yarn or something like that. Always try and dry dropper fish. That's something that I go by is if I can dry dropper fish, I will, you know, if I can do it, then I will. Um, being quiet and being delicate is, is, is obviously huge because fish are moody. So, I mean, if you throw your big airlock or your big thingamabobber into that hole that's the size of this table, yeah. everything's going to go running. Again, they can feel it. And yeah. so I have urinate. I mean, I, I know my way around urinating a good bit. Um, it's deadly. I mean, it is a hell of a lot of fun. And once you figure it out, you figure out your depths and you're not just dredging your flies on the bottom. I mean, it's murderous and it's hard to not your own sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Um, you would literally catch every fish in that hole. Yep. Sometimes. And I mean, that's, I've Euronymphed on wild creeks and it is a hell of a lot of fun. It is so fun because I mean, you're just putting those flies right where they got to be and you can put them right there every single time. And it's a great tactic of fishing. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, man, fishing a dry dropper in a creek always feels right. You're covering. You got to fly up top if those fish are looking up. You got to fly on the bottom where most of their, you know, most of your eats are going to come. Something I like doing even more if you're fishing on a creek is fishing two droppers. You know, if you fish a point fly, you know, the first fly that you tie on below your dry fly, you know, bigger fly, maybe something with soft tackle on it, something, you know, CDC, something that's going to undulate, vibrate, get that fish's attention, and then drop a smaller fly down below it. Then you literally have all areas of the water column covered. Mm-hmm. 100% of their diet is got covered. A, got a dry fly up top. And so if you see a fish come up and kind of look at it and then not really like it, like, okay, maybe I need to size my dry fly down a little bit, or maybe I need to make it bigger or change it. You know, but then you got to fly in the middle of the water column for those fish that are suspended. Um, then you got, you know, a fly, smaller fly down at the bottom for those fish that are just hanging down, you know, cleanup crew. Yep. Um, and so you really have it all covered. I love fishing double droppers mm-hmm. and creeks. Um, and if the fish are only eating the top fly, why fish the bottom one? Chop it off. If they're only eating the bottom fly, only fish the bottom fly, mm-hmm. you know? Um, just little little things like that. So Yeah. Maybe like another way to dive into that question quickly is Euronymphing versus indicator nymphing on a small stream. Maybe a good way to think about it is time of year. Um, because nope. if, if it's wintertime and you have to be pinpoint accurate with putting those flies in front of a fish and getting them in front of his face, you know, sometimes Euronymphing might re like the conditions are tough and you can get those flies in front of those fish's face when they're not looking up because it's so cold in the winter, yeah. you know, that might be one way to attack it. Um, but if, if they're looking up and in your fishing in the spring and you're catching a bunch of fish on dry flies, you know, maybe don't go for the Euro rig yeah. because they're eating on top. And <clears throat> if you 
or Euronym thing when they're eating on top, you're kind of you're shooting yourself in the foot a little yeah. bit. I mean, I'm sure you're still going to probably catch some fish that aren't coming up, you know, eating dries, but maybe time of year is a way to think about it a little bit. Um, there is a question people were asking about time of year too. So that's perfect. Yeah. Kind of, you can switch your tactics up yeah. based the, on what, what time of year. Most of the time that I've urinate small streams has actually been in the winter. Um, I don't know. It wasn't because I was, I mean, it just when I was doing it, but it seemed it was more productive in the winter time to euro nymph mm-hmm. than to dry dropper fish a, um, a wild creek. Mm-hmm. So. I find myself euro nymphing little creeks uh, tail out of the winter into the beginning of spring. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Because those fish are kind of waking up. You know, obviously they're feeding through the winter here and there, but I mean through the spring they're starting to kind of charge the batteries, get ready to rock and roll, and start going crazy. And so I mean sometimes euro nymphing dropping some some you know, heavier profile flies in there, just putting them right in their face. I mean, you can just wail on some fish. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and you can fish dry flies, you know thing. You could fish a tag rig with a dry dropper. Yeah. But I prefer the traditional way, you know, just right. an inline rig. I mean, but if you're um, dry, if you're throwing a dry fly on a tag, I mean, you're essentially dry dropper fishing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, I guess where I was going, like straight conventional Euro nymphing, you've got cider, point fly, tag fly, um, that's where I was. Yeah. So. Um, but I mean, it, it is, it's a hell of a lot of fun. I recommend it to anybody. I mean, there's tons of people that want to get into it and they want to get, you know, a 10 foot rod set up and everything like that. Um, Call Drayton Moore. He's like, <laughs> you're a God. He's, a God. he's a guide for us. He's, if you want to learn how to urine nymph, you're not going to find like, he's used to fish, um, comps and stuff like that. He's a fantastic Euro, Euro angler. Um, and you know, you're you're very good at euro nymph euro nymphing as well mm-hmm. um but yeah if you want to learn how to do it call, we've got the resource for people to learn and learn it quickly and well like from a very professional standpoint because like drayton has fished in competitions like professionally yeah, yeah. so like you know he is the bee's knees when it comes to that and that euro nymphing versus indicator fishing is a perfect it's a perfect way to put it of how it's just it's not about the flies you're using it's about the presentation yeah and there's been countless times where you know for example you go fishing up through through a stretch of river and catch some but then i go fishing behind you in holes that you've already fished with euro rig probably you know gonna catch more fish or catch Mm -hmm. different fish because it even if we're fishing the exact same flies because it is it is just a different way to present those flies you know you can adjust your depth you know and if you see a fish you know eat an emerger boil up top lift your arm up put your flies up there if you see them eat down low put them low i mean it's it's really customizable um and uh it is it is a lot of fun it's just different presentation of flies you it's know deadly. yep so we ha- here's the next the next two questions just kind of go hand in hand um this will kind of tie in because if you guys haven't seen, Carson actually helped me out. We did a video about a year and a half ago <laughs> on small stream tips, techniques. I'm sure we could do an updated version eventually. I sight fished a sucker. It was that one. <laughs> I swear it was a brown trout. But the so, so the, the question the question <laughs> is how to pinpoint and identify good runs and a stream. And that's from at fu underscore fly fishing. <laughs> I don't know. What I you feel mean. that way a lot yeah. of the times. <laughs> I do fu feel that fly way. fishing. Yeah. <laughs> this guy next guest on the pod. <laughs> then other people, there was just a common question of like, what are you looking for on the stream? So just really quick, I'll say 
Gotta plug the video. If you guys want to check that out and just get kind of a visual, we do kind of break some of this down. But I'm sure you've learned even more. But what what would you say now on identifying good runs and how to find fish? Um, oxygen content and depth are the biggest things. And what I mean by oxygen content, that's just a nerdy way of saying is the river moving or not. Um, fish, they trout sit everywhere, but like like we've been saying this whole time, they're seasonal. So say if we're fishing in the dead of summer, um, those the water's warm, the water's like bath water, and trout like cold. So if the water's like bath water and it's probably low, you know, those fish are going to be tucked up in riffles and in the moving water, even if it is like this deep. I mean, um, if there's moving water and there's oxygen, that's where the fish are going to be. Trout love oxygen. So if you aren't catching fish at all, fish in the fast water. Um, I see people all the time, they will walk past a stretch where it's like super shallow and just rolling waves. But it's like sometimes that is the most productive section of the stream. Um, and getting at his question, reading water. I mean, that that that's something that is kind of difficult to explain. Especially over audio. Yeah. <laughs> Meaning, yeah, audio. I'd want to be there pointing fingers with him. Um, but if you're watching on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, watch on YouTube. <laughs> but, um, you know, look for anything out of the ordinary. That You know, that's that's just another big thing. It's like if you see a big boulder in the middle of the river, you know, making an eddy where the current is broken and there might be, you know, a fish sitting behind it, darting out into the current, grabbing bugs that are coming by. Maybe throw a cast in front of the rock, downstream of it, and then throw a cast above the rock. And wild fish are opportunistic. So if you throw two or three casts in there and you don't get a sniff, keep moving. They're not there or they don't want it. It's simple as that. Um, you know, fish sit everywhere. My biggest tip for somebody fishing a creek and asking like, you know, dang it, I just spooked that one. I didn't even think there'd be one there. Fish literally everything. Like if you're standing facing directly upstream, make a cast close to you, a little bit further away, to the right, to the left fish at all. Even if it's shallow, even if there's grass, even if you're thinking to yourself, oh, I'm going to get snagged if I cast there, do it. Fish sit in weird places. I can't tell you how many times, and I'm sure both of you as well, you've seen a fish and you're like, why the hell are you sitting there? Yeah. <laughs> like, what are you yeah. doing? Or you pull out the cast and you're like, oh my God. Yeah. 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 And so, I mean, they're everywhere. They're all over in the stream. There's different points and ways you can, you can target them. So if you catch fish out of a riffle, maybe start fishing the faster riffles and you might find more success and pattern them. If mm-hmm. they're only sitting in the tail outs of the hole, you know, tail out being the very bottom of the hole before it cascades into another rapid, um, you know, it's a great ambush spot. Um, for the fish to sit there and, and it's a choke point, you know, for bugs and forage to be coming down about to get sucked into that next run. The fish sit there and grab them. If you're catching fish, if you catch a fish in a tail out, maybe fish the tail outs from then on and try and pattern them and, and just take mental notes, man, little notes in your head about mm-hmm. what you're doing. Yeah. So no, that's good. <laughs> you can also look at it. You knew you, you were saying like left to right and up and down. Like look at it like a grid. Fish you know? it all. Fish it, and you want to make sure those flies are hitting every point of that grid. Yep. And then once, you, like, if you really want to fish a hole like efficiently, yeah. Um, and or I guess all of it, and then you can move to the next spot. Like, all right, I tried. My flies are hitting the bottom. There's no fish. Keep mm-hmm. moving. And, and so I mean that that's the thing. It's like like I said. It's like if you think you're gonna get snagged somewhere, you're like, oh god, I might get stuck in that tree if I cast right there. Do it. Fish it all. I I used to be really bad about like just fishing the holes like oh there's a good hole here there's a good hole there like there's a big hole up there and it's like those are the ones we're gonna fish but nothing in between you know they're in the whole entire creek it's not like they just sit in the holes you know they sit 
and trees behind rocks and little riffles all over the place. Make a cast. You're not going to catch them unless your flies are in the water. Right. You know? So, I mean. <clears throat> no, it's great. There were some other questions on here um, that I just kind of generalized, but one of them was kind of how do you move, how do you fish it effectively but quietly? Like how do you not spook fish but, and like how fast should you be fishing? Because yeah. I, think, I think when I first started, I took way too much time at each hole to fish. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'd just love to hear what, what you think. I fish fast. Um, I, I do too. So does, yes, yeah. I literally was saying that. So do you. I mean, maybe it's because we're like impatient, but th- this, th- this <laughs> guy will Probably. drop his, he'll drop his anchor, make one cast, knock it and eat and be like, pick it up, scroll. <laughs> like, dude, <laughs> but, um, on a creek, that's or a not st- entirely true <laughs> <laughs> on a creek or a stream. Um, you know, with those fish being opportunistic and not really caring what you're throwing. Um, if you make a cast, if you approach it, you know, correctly and you don't think you spooked anything, you're like, all right, you know, I didn't fall or anything. There should be some fish hanging out here. Um, you know, make your cast at the bottom of the hole. So like Max touched on earlier, you're not line spooking all those fish. Make a cast at the bottom. Make a cast to the left, to the right, above it. And uh, I mean, in a, in a you know a normal sized hole, um, you know, in a stream, I'm not going to throw any more than ten casts in it if I don't get a bite. I mean, if I will spend a few minutes at each hole because there's only so many fish that could be sitting in there, mm-hmm. right? And if you make a cast at the top, the middle, the bottom, both sides, you adjusted your rig a little bit even, and you don't get eats, then, I mean, there's either no fish sitting there, mm-hmm. someone has fished it before you, and those fish haven't reset yet, or barometric pressure's off. I mean, there's there's a list of things that it mm-hmm. could be. Um, so, yeah, don't get hung up. Cover water. That's yep. another thing. But that's what makes it fun, too. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like when you're, when I have the most fun when I'm small stream fishing, when I'm like virtually running up the stream, like if I'm, you know, you kind of get in the zone and you just, you're figuring it out. You're like, boom, cast, boom, cast, boom, cast. I didn't get one. Let's go to the next spot. Maybe there's a fish in a better mood there. And that's when it's fun. I don't, I I go stir crazy on the small streams when you try to like pick (laughs) apart, like it just, that's not what makes the small stream fishing fun for me. It's more so the running up the river, boom, boom, boom. Oh, I made a great cast there, and I caught one. Awesome. Let's go to the next hole. Yeah. And then you can see so much more water and so many more opportunities. And I don't know. It's just I'm it's a huge plunge pool pocket water set. Yes, type water. exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, biggest thing, just cover water. Yeah. I mean, like like we said earlier, it's like. If if the middle section of a creek isn't fishing good, don't sit there and play with your rig for hours. Cover water because eventually you're gonna make it pretty far from where you started. That's yep. another thing that's crazy. You know, mm-hmm. eventually you'll step back like, oh my god, my car is so far away from me. Yeah, like how did this happen? That means you're doing it right. Yeah. So I mean, if 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 you're not catching fish where you are and you're moving, I've had plenty of times where it's like I get to a hole and all of a sudden it's like, bam! Like yep. this must be where people stop and turn around when they're fishing before me. You know, or, you know, the water might be just a hair colder up here. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, cover water. It's the biggest thing. Don't get hung up on something. Yeah. <clears throat> That's great. Yeah. All right. So shift gears a little bit, but we had a bunch of questions on how to find native brook trout. Oh. <laughs> and basically, basically, you know, like best time of year to fish, where to fish for them. Obviously, we're not going to tell them 
where we're fishing, yeah. but generalized like fundamentals that they can that people can take. Dude, brookies. Everyone wants brookies, man. And I mean that's either that or a big wild brown. Rainbows get a bad rap. No one wants rainbows. <laughs> yeah, a big, a big <laughs> wild rainbow. Big wild rainbow. More oh, fun I want a nice a rainbow. Big wild rainbow is more fun than a big brown. Yeah. yeah. Just but, saying. Um, so brook trout, you know, the brook trout comes from here. I mean, they're native to here. So for people out west, yeah. they do have them. Yeah. But they are native to the southern Appalachian. East Coast, baby. They're yeah. ours. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean. That's what we got over you, Montana. <laughs> <laughs> we got brookies. We got five-inch brookies. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the native Appalachian strand brook trout, which comes from here, literally. It's actually a char, but anyways. <laughs> <laughs> Their genetic codes are very suspect. I'm just, I'm just You're messing. not wrong. You're not wrong. <laughs> You're basically a monkey. No, I'm just <laughs> so, um, Those things, man, they're awesome. They're fun to catch. I really personally don't target them that much, um, and I need to. Yeah. Um, I'm the same boat, dude. Yeah. So, brookies, man, high elevation. Um, and sometimes you got to go way, way out in the middle of nowhere for them because brook trout are so sensitive. I mean, they are so sensitive. Brown trout, like comparing brown trout to a native brook trout. I mean, brown trout, those things, I mean, the thing could like eat a can of Coke and be okay. Yeah. They live in, I mean, they can live into water temperatures exceeding 70 degrees. Yeah. They might, it might not be great for them, but they can make it. Yeah. So a brook trout cannot. Brown trout are resilient. Brook trout are not. And so, um, you know, finding those little brookies, they live in teensy, teensy, tiny little trickles. I mean, tiny. Yeah. And so I, I mean, I target them a lot in high elevations. I find myself, you know, in the area of the Blue Ridge Parkway a lot. Yeah. Um, there's, I mean, more creeks than not have brook trout near the parkway than, than ones that don't. Um, you know, a great example, and I mean, I'll, I, I mean, I'm not blowing up anybody's spot. Howard's Creek, okay? You can catch brown trout, wild browns, wild rainbows, and native brook trout on Howard's. And this is a great way to look at it. You're not really ever going to see brookies down at the very bottom of Howard's, close to where it dumps into the New River. It's a lot of browns down there and a lot of rainbows. But when you go ripping all the way to the tip top of Howard's Creek, I mean, where it is tiny, um, there's brookies up there, native brook trout. And that is because you're, you're way up high and, and you're at the high elevation. The water's colder. There's not too many natural predators up there because like a brown trout could get up there, but he's going to be like, I hate it here. Like I need some more water. (laughs) Um, and so that's where the brookies like to live. Um, and you know, for example, Dutch Creek used to be a brook trout fishery fun fact dutch creek was a native brook trout stream before it was rainbows mm-hmm. i believe that um and i've heard that you know the college has shocked a couple of brookies out of there maybe um but it used to be all brook trout and then it got overran by rainbows um and so to find those things i mean high elevations a lot of times the creeks aren't marked yeah. and so um that's where it gets to you know using google maps man I mean, exploring because there's no distinguishable factor about a river that's going to say oh there's a brook trout yeah. here it's just it has to be clean clean I clean mean, clean so which is why clean. you have to get high because yeah. you have to be above the point of pollution yeah which is going to be above most roads right yeah. because if there's salt i mean that's a huge killer of salt runoff from roads stuff like that yep. they're not going to live in that yep. you know 
So and yeah, so brookies they're they're delicate. So if I was to try and find a brook trout stream and target it, the things that I'd be thinking of is remote, high elevation, you know, not a lot of human activity near it. We'll say, um, and and just kind of out there and just on its own and quiet and teensy tiny and small. Now, to target the brookies, there's like one rule that I go by, and that's fish a big ass dry fly. Yeah, that's big. That's it. Big. Yeah, like, like size twelve elk hair caddis. I'm talking like, like almost to the point where they can't fit it in their mouth. Big. Yeah, like mm-hmm. I'm talking Madison River, size four chubby. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, but brook trout, whole... brook trout are curious. Okay, they are the most curious species of trout. We'll say, and so those. A lot of times what I've found and I've tested is if, say, I'm throwing a size 18 dry fly, like, yeah, fish might come up and eat it. Um, but a lot of times they'll come up and look at it and they're like, eh, not worth my time or eh, whatever. But you throw like a big, big chubby in there or a really fluffy elk hair caddis or a big stimulator or something that just pushes water and has, that's not correct, and push water, but has a lot of, um, has a lot of presence on the surface and a lot of, sur- um, that, I mean, it's going to basically make that fish curious and it's going to make him come up and like, I mean, investigate the fly literally. So the fish is going to want a bigger dry fly versus a smaller one, even if he's. They've got anger issues. Yeah. I think that's really what it comes down to is they're like, "Uh uh-uh, not in my hole. Territory. Turf. Yeah. They'd go up because brook trout by far have like the most aggressive eats on dry flies than really yeah. the browns or the rainbows and that's why you can get away with those big ones because you throw that and they're like mm-hmm. not my hole <laughs> yeah i mean <laughs> whenever i go to like trying to catch a brook trout i look for the biggest dry fly in my pack and i tie it on yeah <laughs> yeah simple and as that a lot of the times their mouth isn't big enough for it but it's i mean it's still cool as crap to see him come yeah. up and eat it mm-hmm. and some of them are gonna get it you oh, know yeah. but you do I, I love that point you do definitely catch more brook trout on bigger dry fly patterns than small ones they're they're curious i mean it's it's and i mean if you really wanted to you could tie it into turf little dry fly not a threat big dry fly it's like you know who are you (laughs) yeah get out of here yeah (laughs) so i mean yeah they're cool they're beautiful and i mean you can't you can't fly fish in boone and not have caught a native brook trout Mm -hmm. i mean it's a staple it's what we're known for (laughs) i think it's sometimes it can there's a big misconception between wild and native and and yeah. it's just important to just understand that, like, native meaning, you know, these brook trout were literally have been here since the Ice Age. Yeah. And while rainbows and browns were born in the stream, but they were brought here at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, and the stock trout obviously are stocked. <laughs> They're doing their thing. We know that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, man, that that is a discussion um, that can get so heated with people in the fly fishing industry. Yeah. What is wild and what is native and where the trout come from and everything like that. Um, but I mean, a simple way to put it is the, the brook trout really came from here. It is native to this area, mm-hmm. but like you said earlier, there's brook trout in Colorado. They're out West, you know, there's but wild brook trout. Yeah. But they're the, not native. Yeah. They literally, they came from here. Right. Whereas, you know, say rainbow trout, we got wild rainbows here that aren't stocked, but they're not native. The rainbow trout, like the original bloodline came from the Pacific, the West coast, Alaska, wraps around to Kamchatka, Russia, um, and stuff like that. So there is a very fine line, and that's something that's so cool about Boone, is you can catch stock trout, wild trout, and native trout, like the the Grand Slam. I mean, you know, all in the Boone city limits. 
Yeah. 10 so, from campus. Yeah. Easy, dude. Yep. <clears throat> Sweet. Let's see let's see what what other questions would be worth asking. We've gone through a bunch. And and, and we've like like I said, a lot of these have been generalized cuz they were just asked so many times, yeah. you know. Um so again, we really appreciate you guys you guys chiming in and, and asking some questions. There are um, any uh, any funny ones in there? <laughs> there's one. <laughs> Where is it? Paco asks, "Why does Carson fish a nine foot nine five weight in creeks that are two feet wide?" <laughs> Paco, if you're out there listening to this, we miss you. Shut up. <laughs> you don't know anything. Oh my god. Um, I love that rod, and I will fish it unless I can't. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Or I think even sometimes Why do you tie chubbies? No one ties chubbies, <laughs> loser. <laughs> I think even sometimes you even if you can't, you find a way to. So like if you see Carson running around with a chainsaw, yeah, there's probably a hole that he can't fish his nine nine five weight in. So he's it, cutting down he's the tree so it. he can. Nine foot nine inch, not ten inch. Or he just goes in strictly <laughs> bow and arrow casts everywhere because he has to use that rod. It's a good rod. It's a good rod, man. Yeah. So this is actually a good question. Um so what makes North Carolina streams different from streams out west? And I know you haven't really been out west Dude, yet. Dude, I don't know nothing better than Boone, North Carolina. Yeah, you're gonna, we're going to get you out west. But <laughs> I would just say from my, my experience, there's not like a huge difference. I think these fundamentals apply over whether you're fishing, like I said, in Montana, whether you're fishing in Idaho, Washington, Colorado, wherever. I think all these fundamentals apply to any other stream, but I think usually it's like fly choice is going to change up based mm-hmm. on where you are because there's different bug activity. There's the different river systems. So there's going to be different bugs. Mm-hmm. Every creek's different no matter where you are. Yeah. And I also think a big difference is here in North Carolina and why I think North Carolina anglers slay when they go out west, like people who move out there or whatever, um, is they have to deal – we have to deal so much overhang and, and debris when mm-hmm. you're fishing here. And so you really are paying attention to those – you know, those roll casts and you're not making these huge casts, mm-hmm. you're having to be very, um, what would you say? Like meticulous with how yeah. you're casting, you know, be East, aware of your yeah. surroundings. Simplistic. They're like East coast anglers are very simplistic. Like get the job done the easiest and quickest way possible. Is that what I find? Mm-hmm. Nothing pretty, you yep. know, blue collar fly anglers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love it. Um, I mean, yeah, it's, a lot of times our streams are good because they're not way out in the open. You know, the fish has those trees and rocks to feel safe. Um, and a lot of times I find myself like, oh, my God, I could cut that tree branch down and fill up a box of chubbies, right? Yeah. <laughs> but it's like I can't do that because then the fish aren't going to sit here anymore. You know, they, they want that cover. They want the trees and stuff like that. And so do do everything you need and nothing you don't, okay? Like – like we said earlier, I tell people, like, you seen River Runs Through It? You know, Brad doing these beautiful, like, casts. We're not doing that because we don't need to, right? It's like, sure, I could throw an overhand cast in a teensy tiny creek and and make a good cast, but I might get stuck in the trees. I might break off on my back cast. Something's going to go wrong. Your line gets sucked Recipe down into disaster. different places. Yes. Yeah. Work smarter, not harder. Little roll cast is all you need. Even if you, I mean, even if you don't roll cast it, just high stick it. Like just almost urine if it, you yeah. know. Um, everything you need and nothing you don't. There's no need to have overkill. <clears throat> yeah, 
That's great. I hope some of you guys out west, you know, hopefully, hopefully some of this will apply to you because I think I know when I went out west, I thought it had to change it all up. Yeah, I don't you know, know anything about anything out there. You know, furthest furthest west I've been is East Tennessee, baby, Carter <laughs> County. <laughs> we need to get you cultured, son. Nah, I am. <laughs> but I think that's dude. That's honestly a fair amount of questions. We answered a ton of these. Again, really appreciate you guys kind of chiming in. And yeah, giving us some feel for the fire, letting Carson do his thing. <laughs> um, but like before we kind of close, I'd love to to hear. Um, well, first, you have kind of transitioned now, or maybe just kind of diversified from you were you know basically just doing small stream trips mm -hmm. but now you've started to do some trips out on the tailwaters of tennessee mm -hmm. what has been the biggest difference kind of shifting to big water fishing and do you think that your the small stream tactics you've used have applied to that yeah one hundred thousand percent. and at the end of the day fishing's fishing a trout is a trout whether it lives in a big big river little river pond lake fish is a fish right um you know, I, I'm not a regular person who does, you know, trips in East Tennessee, but there's been plenty of times where... But you fish Tennessee a lot. Yeah, but I fish in Tennessee every chance I get. Um, you know, there's times where Max has been in a pinch and needed me to work out there, which is awesome, and I love the opportunity. Um, and so I have used tactics from, from creeks um, to, you know, in big water over in Tennessee. But really, I mean, it's tough because it's like I'm... I'm, it's so foreign. Like I'm relearning everything, you know, it's like I've fished so, so many times in Boone and on the same creeks and same holes and explored and all. It's like, you know, I'll do a local trip and not even think about it. Like, you know, we'll go out there and have a great time, but I kind of, you know, know what's going on. Like, all right, it's cloudy. It'll fish pretty good. So I'm kind of having to teach myself all that again in Tennessee. And I love it because I love challenges. I love teaching myself stuff. Um, that I can pass on to other people. Right. And so, you know, a lot of tactics, tactics that I use on small streams, you know, I do transfer over to, to big water. Cause like I said, trout or trout. Um, but I mean, the biggest thing that's going to help. And I tell this to so many people, whether you like it or not, it's time on the water, you know, go out there and do it. Try weird stuff, do tactics, you know, that you don't think other people are doing. One of the biggest things Max has taught me is, is be weird. And that's how he says it be weird mm -hmm. you know if if boats go through this line on this rapid every single day that's the way they go maybe go the extra mile to get out and pull your boat over here and go through this line or you know fish over here fish something different um but yeah i mean two different fisheries but they they do interlock with each other totally <clears throat> so we got two more questions but first what would you say is your biggest mistake or what was your biggest mistake as a beginner angler Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> Plenty. <laughs> um, biggest mistake as a beginner angler. Um, I don't really. I don't think I didn't make mistakes. I made mistakes. I'm mm -hmm. just trying to think. No, no. You're, In you're, my situation, it's so many that I can't think yeah, of yeah, one. That's yeah, that's kind of no. Where I'm I'm that's where because I'm sitting here thinking like, what did I screw up? And I was like, everything. So I don't know. <laughs> or, or maybe just with working with clients every day, what would that's you say the biggest one. mistake that you would see beginner anglers that you work with kind of make? This isn't, this is an interesting question. I'd like to hear what I think my biggest one was and what your, you go first. I can't, this is hard. So my biggest <laughs> mistake as an angler or with clients in the beginning, when I was starting to guide was, um, 
letting my expectations dictate how the trip turned out. So my expectations um, could be through the roof for the day. And all they were going for was they just wanted to experience it. And I carried my myself in a way that was negative and pessimistic because the amount of fish that were hitting the net wasn't what I had imagined and wanted for that day. But to the person who's fishing with me, they did not care if they saw fish. They just wanted the opportunity and the like to have that experience. And that, you know, I, in the beginning, I screwed that up and I would get so bumped. Like I would like, what am I doing wrong? I'm, you know, I'm screwing this up and you just got to like read your client and be like, they are just here to have fun. Yes. Mm -hmm. You know, they might want to catch some fish, but having fun with them is going to make the day better than if you catch 40 fish and you don't have any Mm -hmm. fun. Yeah. I mean, that's, 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 yeah, that's a really good one. And I, I'm the same way. I mean, I'm the same. I used to play competitive, like travel soccer, and I would like hate myself after games because I get so like mad that I didn't do well or something. Instead of like stepping back and and you know working harder at it, basically. Um, I guess you could say I kind of piggyback off of that. Um, something that I wish I did different is I wish I wasn't like so hard on myself and I wouldn't get so down on myself um, when things didn't go my way. So really, kind of like something very similar to what you have, but mm-hmm. not from a guiding perspective. Yeah. When when I they can would, be both ways though. Oh yeah. yeah, when I would go fishing, you know I. <laughs> when I first got into fly fishing, I only believed in dry flies. <laughs> that was it. Drag eye. Like other other types of flies, nymphs, streamers, those didn't exist. Dry <laughs> flies. Yellow humpy, parachute atoms to the grave. <laughs> <laughs> Swinging dry. I don't apart. even think you have any of those flies now. <laughs> so. <laughs> I never leave home without a humpy baby. <laughs> I mean, come on now. Phone wallet keys humpy. And so oh God. here's what I'm getting at. <laughs> I would go and fish dry flies year round and wouldn't catch fish on them sometimes. Cause like, and Oh, Walmart spiders. Okay, it's enough on the flies, <laughs> but I'd fish Whoa. these dude, the little foam ones. Whoo. <laughs> that's a i'd never fished one but i can guarantee that is a bluegill they murderer. are but oh sometimes there's fish in the park they go banana it's <laughs> so um i would only fish dry flies and i'd go out some days like by the grace of god there's a hatch and i'm just catching them um but then other days it's like i don't get a single look because you know whatever percentile it is or whatever percentage it is trout eat subsurface they're not always 85 percent okay. subsurface thank you <laughs> um but 15 percent on top in case you couldn't do the math <laughs> it's quadratics um no but it you know i'd get so upset that i fit you know i didn't catch fish essentially like no one's gonna be happy when they don't catch fish um, and I'd go home and get so mad and, and like not want to fish anymore. Cause I mean, I didn't catch anything. I felt like such failure. Um, and that's how I compare with guiding. It's like, if you have people paying you to go out, a lot of times I'm thinking they are paying me to catch fish wrong. They're paying me to have fun and learn. So if I go out there and I apologize that we only caught five, they're like, don't apologize. We caught a, you know, I learned so much. Right. So when I was younger, I'd throw my, I'd throw my parachute atoms and my yellow humpy and wouldn't catch shit. And then, you know, I'd go home and get so angry, and I wish I didn't do that. I wish I went home and was like, okay, well, why didn't they eat that? You know, maybe I should fish a freaking nymph. <laughs> um, I wish I would have realized that, you know. And 
I hate to say it, but it's a it's a term that I learned in school. It's called like sociological imagination, but it's basically stepping away from a, you know, subject or stepping away from a situation and looking at like the bigger reason on what's going on here, right? Mm-hmm. And so you know, so, a lot and something that's out of your control. And so I wish I kind of used that, stepped away from the situation, like you know, the pressure was off today. There's a storm moving in, and the fish are turned off. Can't do anything about it. So I'll get down on myself and then I wouldn't fish for like weeks, you know? Right. Um, so don't be hard on yourself. Don't blame yourself all the time. You know, you can't be the best fisherman in the world. You can't go catching every single day, but you can go fishing every single day. Dude, that's good. That's really good. Last question. I just want to hear, I asked Max, Max this last time. What's been the biggest lesson that you have taken away from guiding? Um, I... <sighs> It's a, lot, a lot of lessons or lessons. Whoever's asking these questions, put me on the spot. <laughs> it's, that would be, that'd be me. Oh, I'm right here. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I don't know if this is some guy on Instagram, like, dang. Man, oh no, no. A, this, this is got just a like... bone to pick with me. <laughs> <laughs> so what have you learned? <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just asking you. Yeah. Curious. Yeah. No, I mean, I've learned, I, I've learned how to be a gentleman. I've learned how to talk to people. I don't want to talk to, I've learned to always keep a smile on my face. I've learned to keep my head level and that transfers into life. You know, Patrick and Meredith getting me into fly fishing or getting me into guiding and giving me a chance. I mean, I am like forever grateful to them. Like, you know, whether we had our right or wrongs or whether we had good days or bad days, they got me into it. They saw something in me and, and Patrick taught me so much and you're teaching me so much on on yeah fly fishing but it's like the bigger picture you Mm -hmm. know it's what you take from fly fishing and being a fishing guide and being in this industry and putting it into your life i mean i have people ask me all the time like when i was 18 and stuff guiding they're like you know oh like what college did you go to i'm like what like i'm in high school (laughs) you know and for some reason people think i'm like a lot older than i am um, and so I, I guess I carry myself more maturely, but that is, bec- that is from things I've learned from my, my peers and my coworkers here at Do South. The man that, you know, Max and Patrick and Austin, all my great buddies that surround me have shaped me into being, I mean, I, I can't be happier. You know, the, the skills I've learned and like I said, how to talk to people. Like when some random guy walks in a fly shop, you got to talk to him, mm-hmm. you know, and for your average Joe, I mean, that's kind of, you know, it's kind of weird. Um, but I mean, I've learned so much that I take into my life and it's made me a better, better person. Um, you know, fly fishing is good for you. Bottom line, do it, get into it. You know, um, it's good for the soul. <laughs> Dude. Well said. That was a great way to close it out. Yeah. Um, I really appreciate both you guys being on today, especially yes, Carson. We finally made it happen been pulling his arm for so long trying to get this happen (laughs) and uh we finally got it done Um, if any of you guys are in the north carolina area or the surrounding area i i cannot recommend enough to come book a trip with these guys you guys hopefully took a bunch away from this podcast but i guarantee you a day on the water with one of these guys will take that to the next level um and yeah or just bump in the shop shoot the shit come hang out with the guys i love just bumping in there and hanging out with you for an hour or so yeah. and hang out with us don't leave talk to us yeah we like talking to people especially this time of year please <laughs> yeah. come yeah. in our shop please people please. come in and they'll be like coming in for like you know oh do you guys sell masks and i'm like no but how are you like 
Talk to me. <laughs> Don't leave. <laughs> I've been here for four hours and no one's been here yet. Please talk to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, hang out with us and talk to us. I mean, I always say we're we're here to help you and we're here to, you know, be your friends and help you succeed. So I mean Yeah. And I can't thank you guys enough for, you know, always being so inviting with being involved in Do South and all, how much I've learned from you guys. Again, not just fly fishing, but life skills and yeah, just man. how to carry myself and everything like that. So I really appreciate it. If you guys have made it this far and you're not subscribed yet, you're doing something wrong. You need to subscribe. <laughs> Drop to the a YouTube sub, channel. post notifications. Um, or if you listen on Spotify. Smash that like button. <laughs> Destroy it. Destroy that. It's like we're on Twitch. <laughs> Break the like button. <laughs> Break the like button. You heard it from Carson. Drop a sub. <laughs> Drop a sub. And yeah, you can get, you can catch these guys, Do South Outfitters, on Instagram. I don't remember your Instagram exactly. K Decker twenty five. K Decker twenty five. Why do I know that? That's so weird. Probably because of all the Instagram DMs he sends me on a daily basis. There's not a lot of content on there because I don't do the social media that much, and Scotty gets mad at me for it. I take these pictures of cars, and I'm like, dude, this is a great Instagram post, and he just refuses. Drop a follow. Drop a follow, and I'll think about it. Not to plug or anything. Hey, if you get if you get followers from this episode, you're gonna you're gonna have to start up in the game, baby. Yeah, man. No. Nah. Oh goodness! But appreciate you guys uh, sticking along, and if you've made it this far, um, yeah, hopefully you enjoyed it, and we'll see you guys in the next one. Hey.